Welcome to Shortcast, the Brandon Sanderson podcast. We're a bunch of mega fans giving you the news discussion and, of course, a whole lot of opinions about Brandon's works and the Cosmere. I'm Eric, and joining me in uh, very fitting colors is Alex. Hello, I am Feather, and yes, I had to dress for the occasion. Hey. Also joining us is Joshua. I very much did not dress for the occasion, but I go by uh, Joshua, and I'm excited to talk about the best secret project. Ooh. The best secret project. Nice. <laughs> also joining us is Ella. Hey, hi, I'm Rosar. I kind of accidentally color coordinated with my hair and earphones. <laughs> nice. So I guess I am wearing the colors very of good. the best secret project. Very good. And lastly, we have Veronica. Hello, I am Cheyenne Sedai on the Discord and forums, and I tried, but I did not want to get wet. And my uh, windbreaker is the big one. And it was all wet because it's been oh, raining well, here. Rip. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe maybe don't have something that's been rained on when, you know, near technology. That's a good <laughs> call. I am Chaos, and today we are talking about secret project three yumi and the nightmare painter and oh alex is so happy i'm i'm glad alex I'm could so be here be because alex has been very busy editing secrets and stained glass and was not sure if she could this make this true. so this is true yes uh, a bit of news uh yumi books are actually shipping in july that's a thing people wow. have gotten theirs and it's we're recording this on the eighth Wow, incredible. They're so um, pretty. Yeah, it's pretty good. Glad they, you know, could get these soon. And I can't wait to read the physical book because this book is gorgeous. Just I can tell from the PDF. It's completely gorgeous. Really? So good. Everything about it. Beautiful. So why don't we go through and talk about some spoiler-free reactions, and then we'll quickly go into spoiler reactions. Uh, once we do spoiler stuff, I imagine we'll have full Cosmere stuff, like, eventually in this episode. We might compare with Tress, maybe. We'll see what's up. Spoiler-free reactions. Uh, Alex, go. <laughs> You're first. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I honestly... This might be a contender for my favorite Brandon book of all time, and that's not an exaggeration, except it feels weird to say that just because it doesn't feel like any other Brandon book. So, um, but yeah, this book basically had everything I could ever want in a book. I loved the characters a completely normal amount, <laughs> very normal about both of them so much. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but it's perfect. Please read it. If you don't like it, I might not be able to be friends with you. The end. <laughs> Alex will personally go to you in the comments and dislike every single negative comment on the YouTube video. <laughs> I just, I love them so much. I love them so much. Very good. Josh, what's up? This is my fit standalone Cosmere book. I will I will say that. Um, so I would 
rate it, rate it very, very highly. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I think there's like some things that just personally work really well for me. Um, and we can kind of get into the details with spoilers, but, um, so I, I can understand why some people, it might not be their cup of tea, but, um, I think this book does a lot of stuff really well. Um, I like it better than Tress. Um, it's, it's a little bit more serious than Tress. Um, and so I, I appreciate that aspect of it. Cool. Ala. Well, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite Brandon books, definitely my favorite secret project so far, though I have not read Frugal Wizard, but I also don't want to. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, de definitely favorite so far. It's different from Brandon's usual because like this isn't, it's a subgenre he hasn't done before because this is, you should probably know before you read it, this is a fantasy romance. Yes. And it is probably the best romance Brandon has ever written by a long shot <laughs> not even close so, yeah yeah one one of my favorites yeah. for sure veronica what'd you think when the previous came out it felt like i like hadn't as connected as strongly immediately to the characters in the world as many other people did just in the discussion and i was very surprised by how much i enjoyed this book i don't finalize overall rankings until i reread but i definitely like this more than Tress and probably more than any other like Brandon standalone book. I mean, the characters are something that the romance was very well done. I am very curious to see the opinions of my friends who are more like actual like romance readers who read a lot of romance and how this compares because like I, I told them like this is leaps and bounds better than any other Brandon romance. And like, I know that the bar for that is really low. So I'm curious about the general like impressions of this fantasy romance versus, versus like so many others that exist yeah um, yeah basically that's it yeah this i, I loved the world building because it's, it's just completely bonkers immediately it's like okay uh mm -hmm. but most of the book is like slice of life romance which was like really fun to read it was it was very fun to read and mm -hmm. was a slow burn i feel like other brandon romances we kind of take a backseat to the plot which honestly i'm i'm into i like that uh I, i'm a plot guy but this one really worked this was this was a great smooth burn romance i do think there's a part that maybe people wouldn't like where it takes a turn and it's interesting which is not exactly what i expected but i thought it was very good i really liked this book i think i like this book i mean i do really like this book but i think tress and this are like kind of similar to me like i both really like those books but for very different reasons so it's it's hard to like directly compare them right because they're very different books yeah. uh, mm -hmm. they are very Wait, different. sure i think that's the fun thing about having all of the year of sanderson books all in the same year i i think it's honestly too much text in a year but you know that's me <laughs> but if you didn't like one of the books you'll probably like one of the other ones right which is i think maybe what brandon was going for because he's doing very different styles so yeah uh i don't know i, I really loved it i thought it was very good uh and definitely brandon's best romance for sure yeah mm -hmm. i i will say like i felt very lukewarm about tress like i didn't hate it but it was wow. 
it totally failed to connect with me, to be honest. Wow. So I was a bit concerned because like I, I felt lukewarm on Tress and I felt zero appeal to read Frugal Wizard. So I was a bit concerned about how Yumi would read to me and I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Like the, this book sucked me in very well. Awesome. I I was in somewhat of a similar um, spot of, I, I like Tress okay. Um, Tress is nice. I don't feel any like burning desire to go back to Tress or to like talk about Tress at length. Um, whereas this book, like from the first chapter in both of the characters' point of views, I was like, oh, I love both of you immediately and completely and I would die for you. And then the story just continued to be incredibly excellent about the two of them and about their really, really fascinating dynamic once they start interacting with each other. And yeah, it was fabulously well done in terms of like character exploration and relationship exploration between the two of them. I think it's some of Brandon's strongest character writing that he's ever done. And I think that's why the relationship mm -hmm. works, um, not necessarily because the dynamic is the interesting part, but because he put the work into Yumi and Painter separately. And therefore, once you have done that work, when they come together, there's so much interesting interaction that can happen between these two really deep mm -hmm. and well-realized characters. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I also really like the atmosphere and the setting. Um, yeah, th this book and Tress are are way more weird than a lot of Brandon's oh, yeah. books tend to be. They're more like they're more like Roshar, where it's just like very alien. And so I was I was entranced by this book from the opening lines talking about the Heon. Um, yeah. Something about just that simple description um, really hooked me um, and interested me. And I really like the way that the the, the settings in this book, there's a lot of contrasts. There's a lot of really stark imagery. And I think that that pairs really well with the characters and the contrasts that they have. And um, I, so I, I think that the setting, it really meshes with the characters in a really cool way. Yeah, there's a lot of like light darkness and yeah, a lot, a lot of the duality, which is so fun in a body swapping story. <laughs> I think like, mm -hmm. this is very, very... Yeah very well engineered setting to match with the story and the characters. Mm -hmm. You want to get into spoilers? Yeah. Just keep we can. We should. Yeah. This, 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 this gets hard to talk about without spoilers. Yeah. Um, well, I think when we talk about sort of like the premise and like the body swapping that is part of this this book's plot and the the two different settings that we're flipping between, um, I think it's fascinating how unique a lot of it feels when it comes together because a lot of the elements of this setting and this plot are actually pretty familiar. Like body swapping stories have been have been done before you know it's a little bit of like a, a dual isekai where they're where they've sure, been yeah. dr yanked into a world they don't know anything about um you know on one hand we have a very like modern city neon dismal rainy vibes and then we have this very uh uh sort of um pastoral high ceremony on other side and and you can see that there are very strong real world 
inspirations for these. You know, Brandon's talked about both um, Japan and Korea being setting inspirations for the the different sides of the yeah. the settings. But I don't like. There's just something about the way that it all comes together that feels really fascinating. Um, I think the sort of solving the mystery from two ends and coming you know, having to figure mm-hmm. out how they're connected and why they've been connected made for a really strong through line for the plot. Um, and also just, yeah, all of their interactions were fabulous Correct. and wonderful and I love them. I think the world building really helps with that. Like you can tell, like there's some Brandon world building. I don't know how well this book works for non-Cosmere readers because design just name drops other stuff yeah Uh, Yeah. oh yeah you know roshar you know as you do yeah um but for me that worked really well to make it not just like an isekai body swap story like there was a little bit more connections to other things even though the like there's just enough cosmere so it's like, oh, I, I see what's happening. Oh, right. That's why Yumi's highly invested. So the body's matching the spirit. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I I will say actually that if I were to like complain about, like a small complaint I have that the first part of the book goes a bit hard on cosmic references to an extent that I don't think it really needs to. Like, for example, why, why do we call chopsticks mypon sticks? <laughs> like, chopstick, chop does not mean, is not an earth specific word. And it's just, and I think like it's, it leads to, it makes it maybe a little too, I was a bit worried that the next parts would continue on this density of Cosmic references, but it sort of evened out over time. Like you still have that Cosmere connection, but I think it's better integrated. And I are I'd argue like in later parts of the book, it's better integrated than like the Lost Metal integrated it. I so I have I have opinions about this. Um, I think that you certainly could like remove some Cosmere references, and it, like they aren't necessary for the story. But I think that Brandon's fans really enjoy them. And I think that they're very low cost to other readers. I, I, I'm, I'll I'm, i be really curious to hear somebody who is reading this book mm-hmm. for the first time without reading any other Cosmere, because I, um, obviously their opinions mean a lot more than our speculation sure, about what absolutely. it would mean to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that none of the Cosmere references in this book are like necessary to enjoy and appreciate and understand what's going on. Um, even the more intense ones, like like design showing up. Um, I think she works as just this really strange, I mean, you've got other aliens in the book. There's six armed aliens and there's, uh, you know, there's um, mysterious um, bug alien. Like there's, there's weird things that aren't explained. And I, I guess maybe I'm just like comfortable with reading books where I don't understand, like where things like that pop up and it's just like, Oh, there's a weird mm-hmm. element. And I just kind of accept that it is what it is. For, for me, it's less like the, the aspects of like the aliens and like awakening and such and more the s- description, like for example, the way Painter and Yumi are both described as looking viden, which makes sense to the Cosmi Reden because we presumably read enough Stormlight to know that viden means like they look Asian, East Asian. But to someone who would pick the book up for the first for the first time, 
they could they might understand that, that there are aliens but not necessarily what does it mean that a character looks vegan i see what you're saying though i i mean as soon as i read their names i'm like okay they're asian <laughs> so, I, I know i i know yeah. like that's that's it's not a difficult guess to make just that's with, maybe yeah. their new yeah. The, I, I feel like the like casual references like this are going to be more confusing to new readers than the fact that aliens do be around. I can see that. I think that I actually enjoyed a little bit of the mystery of trying to piece together who Hoyd's audience might be based on the references he was dropping. Um, that kind of felt a little more like a little Easter egg through line for me. Um, which I will say, I have recommended this book to like non-Cosmere readers of like, hey, I think you should start with this one because um, it's really amazing and I loved it a lot. Uh, particularly ones whom I have like bonded over, over like shared character taste. Um, <laughs> uh, like some of some of my friends who I know enjoy my writing uh, I have recommended this book because it's a book that feels very close to the sort of stories that I like to write myself. And so I'm like, oh, if you like, like, I know we have a similar taste, so I think you would latch on to this in the way that I latched on to this. So I'll be curious to see if any of them actually like to take me up on the recommendation or not. Yeah, I was going to say that this feels like a more um, balanced, like, Cosmere versus story than, for example, The Lost Metal, that was a lot, a lot of Cosmere. And I mean, this story separated a bit because of it. Um, this is, it's still very weird. It still has a lot of new stuff for Cosmere readers to dig into. But the story didn't suffer because of it. And so overall, the book, like, I do agree that it went a bit hard in part one, but overall, um, I like that balance that Brandon is striking between Cosmere stuff and just the story a lot better um, than he achieved before. Which is interesting because we found out, thanks to Peter, who was in the Discord, that this and Lost Metal were written basically simultaneously. So that was really fascinating to see. Yeah, I do definitely agree that the balance is a lot better than most other Cosmere book books that do go heavy on the Cosmere. It did not feel like it was like overtaking the story the way it kind of did in The Lost Metal. It is, it is funny, though, because I've talked with a bunch of people. I've read the YouTube comments of Lost Metal. A lot of people don't seem to mind the Cosmere stuff. Uh, even even like my mom. She's not she's read Cosmere stuff, but she's like, I Mistborn Secret History, that was pretty crazy. Like, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, and she's like, yeah, no, I really like Marasi's plot. And I don't, I don't know about some of this other stuff. So obviously, the, there's different opinions there. But certainly, this has a good balance. And I think this book has a better time because it's a standalone. Whereas I think part of the problem with Lost Metal is it's going heavy in the last book. Yeah. <laughs> Like a, a series, which I can see why someone would be like, yeah, I don't know about that. I think also part of the reason why I don't think it causes much of a problem here is that this is a book about characters. Mm -hmm. It is about who Yumi and Painter are as people and what they're struggling with and who they are and what they want out of life. The, the deeper plot about why they're connected 
isn't necessarily really the point of the book. The, the, the point of the book is to understand them and to see them change and grow. I think that's a plot line that Brandon has not done a lot of in the past. Um, I think he, as a writer, tends to be more of the like, watch all of the different setting plot secret elements come into place and have the big like, you don't really have a Brandon avalanche in this one because it's not... Not in the same I way. Absolutely I absolutely disagree say. with that. You disagree? I yeah. compl- I, as soon as they're like, oh, they're all nightmares, it's like, it's all ending. I, like, yeah, interesting. I did, guess I didn't like latch onto it the same way. So. I mean, part of it was. It's a very that, different Brandon Avalanche. It is. It's there, but it's different. I will just say, I had to read the book in two days because I had to work the next day. And there's a point where Yumi's like, let's end this. And I'm like, okay, so we're going into ending mode. And then immediately the next chapter is, oh, they're all nightmares. And then it's just all bonkers <laughs> from there. So in, in in that sense, actually, like I do think there is that character moment and certainly the big emotional beats in that ending are the character moments that really got to me. I could see... It worked for me, but I could see someone being like, oh, this book kind of went into interesting places, maybe because of the world building, in a sense. So I could see why someone doesn't like it. However, I do see what you mean, Alex. In other Brandon books, we would not have first contact with aliens and have that just be glossed over, which is hilarious. <laughs> the, the fact that this book just has going to space and meeting the Shodel as just a background <laughs> plot detail yeah. that's like just used to disprove one of the theories is yeah, the funniest know. thing. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, wait. That's not the other planet at all. That's crazy. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I actually kind of really that's love that. It. That's it for that plot line. Because the worlds are so different. Can, can we just take a moment to like appreciate what it must have been like to be the astronauts that are like on this planet, like oh looking back at their own world when like the shroud disappears at the end of the book? Oh, like, wow. They're like on oh. this other world and like their own oh, world yeah. is like in the- <laughs> That'd be the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's scary. <laughs> oh, it it reminds me like there are some like those short stories about like what would happen to the astronauts on the ISS if the world ended while they yeah. were up there. Except fortunately, their world the world in the in Yumi did not actually end. <laughs> yeah, I I think part of why, like my sense that this wasn't a Brandon Avalanche in the way that I think of Brandon Avalanches also has to do with like the way that the information is conveyed at the end of the book, I guess. Um, because, and, and, and there's been a lot of discussion about this already, but the way that Hoyd kind of like really takes a step back out of the story and decides to just tell you what's going on right now, because he thinks you would be confused if he didn't do that. And honestly, I do think you would be confused I, I, if you didn't do that. I definitely would be, for sure. Um, I definitely I, was. Yeah, and I think part of why... I know there's people who really didn't like that, and I think we have some people on this call who really, like, that was the part mm-hmm. they didn't like about the book. But I think for me, it I didn't mind it because it felt like that wasn't what the ending was about. Um, it was like, I'm not here to find out what's the, what the machine is or why the shroud exists or why nightmares are like that. Like 
that's interesting info, but that's that's not the point of this book for me. So like, yeah, sure. Take a take a few paragraphs. Tell me what's up with that. That's nice. Let's get back to what we're here for, which is, oh, my God, you and painter are like I'm I'm dying. So, yeah, I think that's a little bit why I'm like, oh, it wasn't an avalanche because an avalanche, it's it's all like part of the plot and the big revelations are happening as part of the developments. And here it was like, nope, there's like stuff going on. Here's what it was. Okay. You know, it felt different. I, I, I feel like that happened because Brandon had the plot like that he wanted to do and it was just too complicated to like <laughs> fit it in some more natural way. So I, I don't know. This is, this is probably, this is probably my only like real complaint about the book. There's, there's things about it that I might say, like, I wish were better in some way or could be better, but this is the only thing that I have a gripe about, which is Hoyd's info dumping in chapters 39 and 40. I think like in 39, he like takes like one section to talk about it. And then 40, it's like three different, like he just keeps coming back into the story to talk. And I, I hear a lot of people complain about Brandon being too telly and not showy. And mm. this was like the worst case of Brandon ever doing that, that I can think of where he's just literally like has the narrator sit down and like, let me explain to you. Let me explain like what's happening at the end of this book, because you don't know how to like the plot. I wasn't able to like show you what's happening in the plot. So I'm just going to have Hoyt tell you what happened. And so I, I, I don't like that. I don't know exactly how it could have been fixed. I think some of it could have been tossed out because it's not the point of the story. Um, maybe some of it could have been, you know, offloaded to the epilogue or the, another epilogue. Um, some of it maybe could have been like overhearing conversations with the scholars or something. I, I just wish that it, he found some way to make it work. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like the plot he picked to write. Like there wasn't a better way to do it, but whatever the case mm -hmm. may be, I didn't like Hoyd just telling me all these things for so long. Um, no, I completely agree with that. It's like, I haven't really had a problem big problem with Brandon like being on the more telly side sometimes but this it just took me out of the story and I was like okay this is all fascinating information and cosmic implications and all this but it took me out of the story because it's just one big info dump and I can't understand why it would be very difficult to integrate in other places because of that like okay backtrack Leon, like all that stuff but I just, I wish Brandon had got, had the time to like revise a bit more and like integrate it in other places so that it wouldn't be as just like, okay, let's pause everything and give this whole explanation. Instead. Because I, I, I didn't like it, but I also can't figure out a way to really fix it. I, I will say like the, this really worked for me personally, because for one, like we had this I feel like this was like set up throughout the book by just the fact that Hoyt is telling the story and he occasionally interjects. So this is like the Hoyt's big moment in the story where he like steps in, pulls back the curtain and, okay, let me, let's roll this back for a moment. And also it's very, I guess it works for me because I've been, I've seen this mode of sort of storytelling before in video games. It's very video game storytelling because I know how many Actually, I know only one of you here have played Final Fantasy XIV. I was literally <laughs> going to bring this up. I know exactly the thing in Endwalker, right? The Not just. In like, there, there's a lot. It does it a lot. Because, like, in Final Fantasy XIV, occasionally when the story wants you to know a plot point that your character would not be there for, it's got, it does a 
it gives your character a power to do a flashback. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, your character basically has the power to see flashbacks. So whenever they want to explain something that you couldn't be there for, because for example, it was taking place years ago or centuries ago or even millennia, it just shows you a flashback that explains this is what happened here. And this way they they bypass the need to have a character in universe have an excuse to info dump you about it. So this whole this those two chapters where Hoyt like comes in and says this is what happened, it reminded me a ton of like those Final Fantasy fourteen flashback scenes. So a proposal, if I was trying to fix this, what if Yumi had like gone and like like pulled like sucked on the investiture from the scholars when she's like facing off with them and like she was able to like see some of their memories of like them activating Mm. the machine that That would probably work as well yeah like i I feel like the problem the problem is that it describes a lot of like big picture scenes because you could have a flashback from a scholar who activates the machine but then you could also have the flashback from someone distant who sees the machine be activated but then there's all the stuff that happens once everyone is dead and everyone who isn't is just screaming like what the hell is going on and i think like you it's difficult to convey what happened there without someone stepping in and explaining it it's it's funny that you did mention 14, but you didn't mention the thing that I was actually thinking about that this reminded me of. Um, but 14, Final Fantasy 14 is actually remarkably cosmere in like its world building and plot setups. I think that's why a lot of us like it. But one of my favorite moments actually is in Endwalker where like a villain says, oh, I see exposition is in order and then <laughs> proceeds to info dump you <laughs> because it's a lot of like deep realmatic stuff. That's like it's not realmatics, but it's it's that kind of level. And, like, it's, it's played for laughs. It's a it's a funny moment that I enjoyed. But yeah, it is. It is something that they kind of do in their storytelling occasionally when it's like this is really complicated. We came up with all of the reasons underneath the hood, why it works. And we're just going to tell you. So here you go. That does happen a lot in like video game epilogues. It's like the big crazy thing. It's like, okay, now, now you're just going to talk with like five NPCs. It's like, Oh, okay. Now I, I get it. Cool. I would say that the info dump really worked for me because I really needed answers and I wanted them quickly. So I was ravenous for answers. I think this is a fun way to do it because Hoyt is a narrator. I can see why someone wouldn't like it for the same reason. I, I worry about just, Oh, they're, we're just going off the rails. They're all nightmares. What is happening? Like it, 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 was, it was really wild. Like for for a slice of life story, th- there were those horror elements, obviously with the nightmares. But I can, I imagine some people wouldn't like that switch. Uh, but it really worked for me, and the info dump really worked for me. It's like this high fantasy stuff uh, where I I do want to know about the world. Like just just tell me. Um, so. That really worked for me. I liked actually that we alternated viewpoints. Like I love any Brandon Avalanche where we're switching between POVs. And so it's like you, me, Hoyd, Painter, and just going through that. That's classic Brandon Avalanche stuff. So it honestly just felt like a regular Brandon Avalanche to me, Alex. Uh, 
Apparently, this was a spicier take than I expected it to be, but I'm fine with that. I did like audibly think like, oh, we're in endgame mode when I saw the chapter title yep. with two colors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. we got to talk about the art and the design. We will. But mm-hmm. so I, I really like that. Yeah, here's a, here's my dilemma with it. Like, I, re- I really like like the information on a Cosmere level and aromatics level because I really wanted those answers and I was kind of a confused about like okay how is this actually working but on a craft level it bothered me so much that it ended up turning into the one thing i really don't like about this book that's that's fair it 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 did Mm -hmm. work for me like pretty hard uh there there is one other thing that i uh would complain about but that that that'll be later i didn't like i didn't like this about hoid um hoid's this this part at the end but um in general i really liked hoidation i think that his voice in this book was fantastic i think he's funny i think he's amusing um i think he butts in in just the right times and just the right ways so i i, I really enjoy hoid in, in general I've, I've seen a lot of people complain about hoid's narration they're either they're tired of it after two books of it or um, or they just don't like it from the start, but um, I, I really like it. Um, I like it better than Tress. I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, I think it's um, a little bit less, it's less whimsical than Tress, and I appreciate it. I think that it it gives more emotional weight and, and more gravity to the book when I'm when he's not being quite so whimsical. Sure. Um, so I, I appreciated his, his narration. I think my only issue with Hoyd's narration is there was a chapter where it really felt like Brandon was just doing the Alcatraz thing where it's like Hoyt's talking about something crazy at the beginning of a chapter. And then we're going to go into the rest of the chapter that that happened at least once. And I was just like, hmm, Brandon, you're just going off. If this is just the Alcatraz thing, but it's Hoyt talking. OK, sure. Fine. But for the most part, it worked really well for me. I, I can't remember which chapter is oh, you're talking I about. I read this book in uh, like. 12 hours i don't remember yeah I, I, co- I finished this book in like six hours oh, yeah, 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 yeah yeah i was yeah. uh yeah sitting in a coffee shop making distressed noises and <laughs> catching you were very video. distressed it was very funny uh, i was yeah people were giving me weird looks for the fact that i was like sitting looking at words on my computer screen and being weird about yeah. it but like i don't care whatever um but yeah i could I think part of it is like I could imagine a world in which we didn't have the explanations and I would have gotten to the end and been like, I loved this book and I thought it was amazing. No idea what was going on there (laughs) at the end. That just I was completely confused, but it was great despite that, I guess. And so like I see the vibes of like having the explanation was like, oh, you've saved me from I just would have been confused and not thought about it any further than that. Thanks. I think also the the crew that hangs out in the Cosmere Mechanics discussions is also probably appreciates not having to debate what actually happens. <laughs> <That's not true. laughs> I, uh, they, they love the debating. That's their favorite say, thing to do. I like that they don't get to debate about it. We just got the answers. We don't need to talk about <laughs> <Mortal Matic. laughs> We've closed the book. There's no need to go any further. God, why did you say that when I was drinking? <laughs> it really feels like if this was like a Miyazaki movie, none of this would be explained. It'd just be like, yeah, this is, that's super bonkers. Yeah. But I appreciate that Brandon didn't do that because he correctly identifies that the audience 
demands a bit more explanation because Brandon usually explains things. And I think Brandon is correct there. Speaking of Miyazaki, how can like Brandon like sits there and says like, oh, I want a live action adaptations of these books. I think that would be superior. And then he releases a book like this. <laughs> that's like demands. Yeah, to be this this is an just anime. an anime. Yeah, for sure. Has to be. Has mm-hmm. to be. Can I complain about one other thing kind of about the ending? Sure. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. the very end. I wish we had more falling action in this book right after the climax. Like, I, I needed more. Mm-hmm. Like the another epilogue was good. Bit more. But I think because this book was very slice of lifey, I could have gone for a few more scenes of just mm-hmm. Yumi and Nightmare, uh, Yumi and Painter in their new situation and reacting a bit more. That would have been nice and I think would have fit really well. I don't think this book needed to be climax, then we're done, right? Which Brandon usually does. Usually mm-hmm. I really like that, actually. But in this book, that I if if I had a request, that would be my number one request of the book. Mm-hmm. A little more of the happily ever after. A little bit yeah. or just a little more of the character vibes at the end, right? Like that that feels mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. would be appropriate for this. So that's me. It's it's a very earn your happy ending sort of a plot, but we don't get to see as much of the happy ending that they have earned. So yeah, I I can agree with that. I think I like imagining it. Like I don't know. Yeah, it, there's pros and cons to that, right? Like I wouldn't want too much more, but I'd at least like them conversing. It's like wow, that's wow, that's crazy, and just like some more banter there you know I, I like the banter and like a conversation with yumi and painter and then a conversation with them and painter's friends like i think i think if we had like two conversations and then hoyd's narrating like i would have been 100 percent happy i don't think it needed any more than where that. they where they have to explain that she's not actually his sister <laughs> and actually <laughs> they're deeply in love <laughs> <laughs> It'd be really yeah. funny. I admit, I, for, for me, I have fun imagining the moment where like painters' parents arrive in the city, like to make sure <laughs> their son is okay, and all all the painters' friends are like asking, "Where were you hiding this cool sister?" And they were like, "And they are like, well, since when do, do we have a daughter?" What are you what? talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I assume Yumi and Nikaro have to like set the record straight with the, like the friend group, oh, yeah. real quickly. Actually, <laughs> yes. like yes, like I I assume actually they probably tell their friends what was happening. Everything. Like, yeah. you're not yeah. gonna believe us, but hey, the shroud just came down, so like maybe you can suspend your disbelief for a mm. second. I, I think promise we're they would be the open truth. to that after all the nightmares attacked. It's like. Okay, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll believe you. Church, sure, tell us what's up. <laughs> Especially like they they did just see all those nightmares getting turned into people. Yeah, so oh, I for sure. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the jump from uh, one of the nightmares managed to survive is uh, too big for them. And I mean, open question to me: like, presumably, this Yumi looks a bit different than Yumi. In Peter's body, <laughs> warping to Yumi's spiritual ideal. I, I don't I don't know exactly how different that would actually look. I don't maybe. know. But presumably a <laughs> bit more like Nakaro than maybe Yumi actually does. Maybe maybe she looks like prettier because Painter painted her into life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's possible too. Yeah. And speaking of like Yumi being painted by uh, yes. by painter back to life, let's talk about that artwork oh. because oh. holy hell, this artwork! Oh. Good. <laughs> so pretty. I want like half of this book hanging on my wall. Yeah. Can we? Can we like? buy most of this artwork frame because i would like there's a lot of a lot of good stuff here and like both mm -hmm. getting the adorable character romance vibes but also like the horrifying nightmare vibes like really well like yeah. that style worked <laughs> yeah amazingly like i loved you know you have these beautiful atmospheric pieces that really capture an entire scene um you know with the like full backgrounds and full color but you also had these little like just vignette sketches that just caught a bit of the interaction between them that were so wonderful like the bath like the one where, where he's looking over her shoulder um trying the dress on in the mirror mm, and, yeah um very possibly my favorite, the one where they're glaring at each other in the street. It's really cute. It's really cute. It's so funny, and it has so much personality in it. Like, I adore that it's a piece of art that exists. I was telling Eric you should use it as his background instead of the cover art. Oh, know? yeah, I didn't set that up. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that, that, that would be very funny. I really like how the art matches the style of the book like it really fits super great here yes uh, i i would say tresses does mm -hmm. very well as well and so like what you're saying joff like oh the whimsical vibe was not as much your vibe which is like i think that's totally fair right whereas other people would be like i love that like my wife, she loves she loves Tress because of that. Um, she loves it so much. So I'm like, I can't rate Tress lower than this book because Tress <laughs> is really good. I really like it. Um, so like Tress's art really worked for that. Yumi's art really worked for this. Um, mm -hmm. And I just want the physical book to like see oh, all the same. colors. Like I know the the cyan and magenta on the page is just oh, it's gonna look so good. I oh mm. you know what I will say I do have my one complaint about the art in this book oh. and it's actually not about the art it's about the like colors that were picked for the ink the printing ink okay. I feel like the blue that they used is too blue it's that not is, green yeah, enough that's true, to be sure. like a turquoise cyan aqua as someone who adores like cyan and aqua and I really loved the original color cover art color scheme in particular, which had that really bright cyan. Um, I did miss it a little bit. I, I think Peter said it was it was too light to show up in printing, but I'm like, you could yeah. do a darker turquoise. You could have you could have still had more green in that blue. Such a it's a minor thing, but I was like, that's my color. And they didn't quite get it. They did a they did it more like true blue instead. Okay, fine. I, I mean, I like more true blue, so it works great for me, but it isn't what the book describes, and I did recognize that. But it, it is true. But I can believe that it wouldn't appear great on white on the page, which like, that's fair. Presumably, they tried it, got a proof, and they're like, we can't, we can't, we can't do it, guys, and we have to pick a specific color. Yeah, I do. I do remember hearing something about that it was the colors had to be picked for like accessibility or something related yeah, to that. That's valid mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. I, I also like yep. speaking speaking of the cover. I 
the 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 secret project cover that they originally revealed was my favorite of the four and i did not expect that the actual cover would out outdo all out all me but like this cover is just stunning i i'm looking back at the original secret project 3 cover Honestly, the blue doesn't look that different. I'll be totally honest. It looks really similar to to what's here. It matters to me. It, it, it it's really similar, actually. Uh, I it's, it's less the blue that's on the cover and more the one that they do like the accent printing sure, on okay. in the pages Fair. themselves. Fair. Like the cover looks. It's a little more sky blue, and I'm like, that's not. I need more green in that, please. It, are you are you ready for a hot take, guys? Uh, this this Ooh. will actually probably Always. get me flamed. Okay. Not my favorite cover. Whoa. I don't really like this cover. I know. Crazy. I I don't really like the original Secret Project 3 cover. Like, I I realize it fits with what the book is. I don't like that cover. I I don't love this cover either. That's my hot take. We can't all have good takes. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, But... We all got to be wrong sometimes. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. <laughs> is uh, it is it just general vibes of it or something specific? I, I don't know. I it's just it's just not my fave cover. Uh, I I don't really know. I I don't. I'm not good enough at art to be able to describe why I don't really like it. <laughs> um, like it definitely gets the vibe of the duality with it, which like I do appreciate. But I don't know. Something about it's just not working for me. I don't know what could be better because you really do need to show the duality vibes. So I don't know. But hey, but I, I do really love the art. Like you, you, you just you can just stare at it more and more and just be like, wow, this is amazing. Beautifully painterly. Oh, quick shout. I love the uh, chapter like the drop caps at the beginning of each chapter being like a paintbrush <laughs> of oh. uh, each color. Right. Oh man. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate this. <laughs> I These I see are gorgeous. <sighs> this oh. this is the one that I'm most excited to see in my hands. And I think I'm actually gonna do an actual unboxing for that one. Because the the other secret projects, yeah, whatever. Uh also I got dress really late like everyone so it's like it didn't even matter but this book will come out on time kind of and so uh, unboxing might be actually relevant to some people so i think alex might die if we don't talk about characters so why 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 don't we get in the characters and why you love uh each character so much and so i'll see you in a half hour guys Yeah, (laughs) um i will try not to go too crazy but i really could talk about Particularly Yumi and Nikaro for just hours, if I if you let me. Part of that is because they I mentioned at the top, they remind me a lot of characters that I've written. And for those of you who have seen me talk on 17th Shard, I care a lot about the characters that I write in my stories. Um <laughs> both, <laughs> both Yumi and Painter like really hit me in a place that I was like. I am I immediately understand exactly who you are as a person and I'm so interested and sympathetic to the situation yeah. that you're in. Um oh, I've I recall when I started the book, I was worried actually about how people would react to painter. Um because he was a he was a character I latched onto immediately, really hard, like to the to the extent that I have latched onto like Renarin colon as a character like that was the reaction I had to <laughs> wow. 
Uh, yeah, so, and people well, who know me know that that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, but I was, I was really worried that people were going to be like, "Oh, he's like a loser, and he's really cringy, and I hate reading his point of view because he's Jess like actually this, hated these, it in the previews." <laughs> Hated. Yeah, he's like this loner emo kid who thinks he's so cool. Oh. And I was like, no, you don't understand. He's suffering. And he it's all his own fault. He's cool. And you're just like, he's just pretending. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it got me real good. I will say, I think that like, the most common reaction I've seen to Painter was, he's just like me for just real. Like real. For yes. real. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh. it's a lot of the like imposter syndrome and just like, oh, no one will ever lo- love me, which uh, as uh, remembering teenage years, oh, that or, or early 20s, honestly, very relatable, <laughs> super relatable. <laughs> The, the degree to which painter is an absolute mood is frankly concerning. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it's funny because, I mean, that specific sentence of it's just like me for real reminds me a lot of like a really close friend of mine. Uh, I literally texted him when I finished the book. I was like, you're going to be saying this a lot. And this <laughs> sentence reminds me a lot of you. If there is one meme to come out of this book, let it be the painter is just like me for real. <laughs> <laughs> Only, you know, a better artist. Uh, Mm -hmm. than me uh but i love how his character progressed like i thought it was really interesting his dynamic with his friends because he obviously is like really pained about that like i think it's very clear and i think it could be easy in the beginning to be like why didn't he just talk with with his friends but uh and then you get through it's like oh yeah that's why they don't like him that makes sense but also you get that reveal and you're like that makes sense that someone would do that though and like make that mistake because it's like they put all their pressure on me and i just yeah i didn't want to disappoint them and then i i i needed to say something i loved his apology about that that was that was a good sincere apology take notes if you just be sincere in your apology. And if you're not sincere, then just don't do it because you'll make it worse. It helps, I think, that he had already kind of processed all of this to the point where he like yeah. really regretted and felt bad about it like from from early on. Like you can't tell. He kind of hides it. Sure. He buries it from himself, you know. But when it comes mm-hmm. up, you can tell that he he genuinely feels awful yep. for what he did to mm-hmm. them. Um, I, I think that he could have been a very frustrating character if he had more baggage from the from the beginning um it's interesting like when he first meets yumi and he like wants to be a hero for her uh, it's it's maybe hard to not to notice like the first time you're reading but like he has some thoughts there where he's like i want to be a hero for her you know but he's worried that he's going to do the same thing that he's done before and so like the fact that he recognizes that about himself and that that kind of point of failure it helps endear him to me a little bit even when he kind of could be frustrating um it also helps that one of the first things we see him do is fight fight off the stable nightmare to like defend these people you know when he's off the clock and he mm-hmm. kind of does that on his own time it, yeah. and he's very sincere about it the whole time like that's that's genuine yeah that early scene with yumi i think where he's realizing that she is coming to conclusions about him that are not true and that she's looking at him in a way that no one has really looked at him in a while. I, the, there's like three paragraphs of narration there that I'm just like, Brandon absolutely nailed it. And he reached into my chest and just grabbed a hold of my heart as 
you're watching in real time a character realize they're making a terrible mistake know that they're going to hurt someone as they make this mistake in real time and yet are so like deeply in the act of craving validation that they can't help but do the wrong thing and it's written in such a way that makes it so sympathetic even as like he should correct Yumi. He should set the record straight. He should tell her the truth and not just go along with what she's assuming. But he just, he just can't. And it's so good and it gets to me so much. And I just like, this whole book just sends me jittery when I think about character moments like this, because it's, it's everything I want out of books. Um, ah. Yeah, with, with that plot point, like this was a really good scene, but I will say I really appreciate that they clear it up really fast. Because yeah, I admit yeah. when I first saw the scene, like I liked the moment, but I was dreading having to read the whole book of True. Painter lying For to sure. Yumi. So I was really <laughs> glad okay. where like the first chapter where Yumi sees the way Painter lives is just immediately the, the, the whole house of cards comes crashing down and we can let that whole deception point just fade away and not bother me anymore. I think it's because there's plenty of other stories that would like, oh, that that's that's the big... Absolutely. I, I oh. have read those stories. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Brandon, at least, I think is better at, okay, let's, this is not the interesting part here. Well, and we find out that like painters already lived that experience too. He's had the like year long of dread knowing that he's lying to someone and that it's going to be horrific when it comes out and just being unable to stop himself from continuing. Um, and I like that we kind of find that out later after he's like, he started to do the same thing with Yumi, but got caught out quickly enough that he had to confront it and face it. Um, but yeah, I just, oh. I love his horror as like when she first when she first shows up in his world and he's like totally wrecking everything, like telling all the wrong things to the wrong people, especially to Akane. Um, it's fantastic <laughs> just to like watch him like lying in the corner just dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she, he did kind of did the same thing to her <laughs> I first think, time around. Honestly, I think that's why he was dying more because it's like. Oh no! I I did do the same thing. Oh, this feels awful, and now I get it. <laughs> Which he did it to her, so like without fault. Um, you know, like he couldn't have known how important it sure, was, for sure. Things like that. Whereas, like, there's so much of the way that Yumi acts when she first gets to his world that is his fault. Like, because he told her things that weren't true, because he conveyed himself in a way and didn't correct the record. Like, she went along with those assumptions, thinking he was telling the truth, and so it's like. I love a character whose problems are their own fault. I I adore this. Actually. Uh -huh. You know, I also really like Yumi. She's she's really great. I mm -hmm. she's so sweet, but like just the pressure placed on her is so high. I, I really like because like the, it would be very easy to make a character like this be super like passive and demure and like polite and super like you know what I mean right and instead she's yeah. she's headstrong like the moment she gets the ability to act 
forceful she does and i i do really like that i think it, it makes her a more fun character and has a more fun dynamic with painter than if she were this super perfect traditional yoki hijo yeah because she doesn't actually yeah. want to live like that she like yeah that pressure is put upon her which she feels is very important to her but man just the scene where they're shopping what a great shopping scene where it's like like so emotional to her to just I like I can choose my own clothes like oh mm. amazing I I know people have like mostly been reacting to Nicaro as the like oh he just like me for real for real um, <laughs> Yumi is my she just like me for real for real actually oh, yeah, for sure um, in, to an incredibly intense uh-huh. degree uh, like I personally am so good at feeling guilty about things that I shouldn't feel guilty about. I think it's uh, one of my one of my innate talents. I can confirm um, this is accurate <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it really is, uh, and I I think that's why it, it's something I I love to see explored in characters taken to extremes of just characters who feel this awful guilt that they're not enough that they're not doing you know that they're that they're insufficient when for having the most human of flaws or the the most human of desires like not even a flaw but you know seeing something as innocent as wanting to have a day to be normal as like a moral failing that you need to overcome and Mm -hmm. be better and the amount of pressure you know there's there's something about a character who is in a pressure cooker from their society but then has taken and internalized that to the point where they are putting even further pressure upon themselves like that is an archetype that i love to see sort of explored and i think there's so much um God, I want to use like a chemistry term, like potential energy in that situation. Yeah, of sure. Like yeah. as soon as it breaks open, you get to see such a fascinating development of a character who is stepping out from under that pressure for the first time or letting themselves feel or letting themselves be OK with not being perfect or living up to the crazy expectations that were yeah. never reasonable, like realizing the expectations they're under were not. Re- I'm just like i could talk forever about you me too so yeah but the more i think about these characters the more I'm like i relate to like bits of them like really mostly because uh, like i've dealt with those situations differently like those high expectations and the pressure that definitely true and then ib beat most of that out of me like it forced me to deal with it but i see it all the time in my sister and mm. but then i have like like the arch connection and the theme and of wanting to really do something, but sometimes questioning like your artistic abilities. When you start like comparing yourself to other people, it's like, oh, but I'm not, never going to get there. Um, but I'm going to still try. And it's different parts of both characters like really connect with me, but it's not like I, and either like Yumi or Painter. Thing, but just like different parts of both which is why like my re- it's like me for real or she's just like me for real it's just these different things about both of them like together are things that i 
really, really related to it. I was very surprised to see that in this book. I, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, for um, sure. And it, it, it kind of brought me to tears when I was reading it. I was like, just like having no words to describe what it was, you know? Yeah. I loved the scene where like she just goes out to want to explore. Like it, it's it's a very like princess in the castle gets to go outside for the castle for the first time. But also just the deep moral failing aspect that you were talking about alex kind of makes it a bit different than that which i really like but what a great character and i also just want to say i love the magical aspect of her snacking so many rocks in the beginning and that being no yumi is literally she's she's been basically been doing this for 2000 years uh she's 19 but just the the magical situation she is literally the best that like anyone could be and oh, i loved that that was so good speaking <laughs> of this whole like age thing yes a question I have for you. Do uh -huh. you suppose now that Yumi is like a nightmare painted into life, do you think she's immortal? No. I think she could have made herself immortal if she wanted to, but I don't think she would have wanted to. I think she made herself normal. So do you do you suppose she's going to like age like a human would? Because like, is she like organic? Person? I think she's organic, yeah. I I think she is now. Um I I I think what's what's happened with Yumi is like you know, like all of the people in uh Torio got turned into nightmare soup, um, which can <laughs> be, you know, turned turned into other things and mimic people, but like because she was such a had such a strong sense of will and also had her own innate power was able to sort of form herself out of the soup as it was going away and i think has sort of locked herself into who she is now i wonder if she's still as highly invested i don't know i assume I like so. at least some of the investiture would have to go into like yeah soul casting the the soul the soul zoop into a physical body yeah, yeah the converting it into like mm -hmm. actual mass but i don't know and investitures can do a lot so that's probably fine uh maybe a little less invested but no i i think she's gonna age uh in as much well i guess that could depend on how much in, it, how invested she is because if she's still highly invested like she might naturally get agelessness potentially uh but aside from that i think she would age normally she, she may be something like a returned i think where yeah. like she's going to look the way that she thinks she should look and age the way she thinks she should age sort of a thing yeah i feel like i was yumi in this book falling in love with painter immediately <laughs> and that was my experience <laughs> reading yumi in the nightmare painter so I will say when they finally like, no, it wasn't the scene where they finally profess love, but it was after the carnival 
where Yumi gives a uh, painter the mm. painting. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm so dead. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Oh, no. Like the two of them defending each other against the nightmare scene. Oh, like, yes. Uh, yes, that, that, that was, was my highlight. scene. Yeah. That was my scene of like, I love them and I love them together. Yeah. There's so much fun in their early days, too, when they're like, being combative but can't get away from each other so like like they have so much chemistry right there from the start even when it's a very like rivalry we have to work with each other i don't like you and you know both of them completely frustrated with each other it's like delightful so delightful the whole time such a good slow burn to until you get to that carnival scene and then where they're defending each other and the painting oh so good and like i will say also tangentially related uh, but brandon did that scene where one of the potential relationship member comes out of the changing room in new clothes and the other person is like rendered speechless which is a trope that i absolutely love and i am so happy that (laughs) there's definitely tropes here that brandon is using appropriately here i think part of what made this romance work so well was actually like how far Brandon leaned into the sort of like sensuality and physical attraction between these characters, which is something we do not have a lot of in Brandon books. And I think like not only was it very well done here and very tastefully done, um, it was incredibly realistic, uh, especially for young and experienced people. Right. Like super yeah, like, realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Having them have to go do the ritual bath sequence like an hour after they've met each other for the first time, like that sets the tone for the book as a whole, but also like for their relationship. We got so much characterization for like who Painter actually is as a person as like a guy who's being put in that scenario um, and the way that he reacted and the ways that he was, you know, somewhat understandably overwhelmed and not acting in the best way, but also the like respect that he tried to have for the people around him who didn't know that he was there. Um, It was, we got to see a lot of his values and what's important to him in the midst of before this, he he's painters tried really hard to convince us that he's not like that good of a person and that he's not, he's the loner type he doesn't care about people he doesn't need friends and it's like "Mm, okay but when push comes to shove like you're trying to avert your eyes from the attendants because they don't know you're there and you want to be respectful for that that's it's a yeah he's a he's a guy who has strong character underneath so he was also you know a teenager or like like, yeah. or early 20s i think it's a little had some, had some 19. very 19 young okay. teenager reactions yeah. that were very, mm-hmm. real, very, very realistic for sure he was, he's trying his best there <laughs> he was not a paragon of virtue in no. the scene but you could tell he was really trying his best as if most people could be a paragon of virtue come exactly. on i like how he eventually like starts to peek and he that realizes was, that you yes. was like staring at him. <laughs> and this scene did give us that incredible mm. art piece of them just good. glaring at each other uh, <laughs> oh my god like, so good 
perfect. Like, I think there is so much. Sorry, no, go ahead. I've said so much already. The bathing bathing scenes, though, it really kind of is like a fun, like, I don't know, picture of their relationship where at first, like, there's so much tension with that. And then you get to the end of the book and they're just casually, like, doing their bath, hanging out. They don't, they're not staring at each other. They're not weird about it. Like, um, it's, it really parallels, like, their development, um, their, their connection with one another. Um, in a really in a really cool way I, I i compare it to like these scenes like the progression of scenes through the like bathing sequences um compared to something like say like the start of siri and susabron's relationship in warbreaker um warbreaker spoilers for anybody uh who who do stuff of like i think you can see that there's a similar idea there of a character who is meeting someone in a situation that's very intimate for the first time and doesn't have a choice about that. But I think the way that sort of Painter and Yumi react to it, it's it can be such a fascinating foundation for a relationship to have that become normal so quickly before they really know each other very well, just because they don't have a choice and they both just have to get through it and try to make the best of it. And I think like a lot of maybe what I felt like was lacking or felt awkwardly done in Warbreaker around those topics, you didn't feel the the awkwardness around it here. It was, you know, really leaned into of like, what would the characters feel in this situation? How would they, you know, how do you trust how do you, how do you grow trust in a situation almost like against your your will just because you have this shared experience with somebody that you just got through it and it's it's okay sort of a sort of a thing i think it helps that it's not an arranged marriage as well i mean admittedly there's an arranged connection <laughs> admittedly <laughs> so there, there's, i suppose there's a bit of an aspect of fates there but uh you know it, it, it's a story that's fine but it's not an arranged mm-hmm. marriage. I will say one moment where I was like, no, Yumi, Yumi can't be like dead or a nightmare. That that would be horrible. I can't believe that. Oh my God. That was that really stressed me <laughs> until I remembered that design said that she was highly invested. So I'm like, okay, design knows this is a real entity of some kind. And so I'm like, okay, mm. okay. She can't be dead. But I was really worried there she was gonna so die. <laughs> the, the fake out ending with her like fading away before painter like paints her back into life. It was so I, I genuinely believe for like a page that he's going to kill off one of the love interests in the story. This is maybe my favorite mm. fake out death that Brandon's done. <sighs> yeah, probably. Uh, I was as ready to just go and like be mad at Brandon as I was with a certain scene in the third book of Trials of Apollo at Required. And if you know what I'm talking about, you will know how intense <laughs> those emotions were. I was so I was like, Brandon, do not do this to me, please, for the love of God, don't. And then it was fine. But Veronica was, was like reaching strange. for the pitchfork <laughs> before she read the next page. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fit if she died, it. though. I gotta be honest. That that would have been a fitting ending. It would be a very different ending. Uh, I mean, but it would. It would, but it would have been very yeah. sad. It would be very sad. It's especially like tricky the way that like the the epilogue begins. Well, number one, it's called the epilogue, right? And then Hoyt begins yeah. like it doesn't immediately cut to like oh, but she survived. He like 
emphasizes like, oh no, like, this is how it ends. Oh, and no, then, no, no, like no, he just no, straight no, lies no. to you because yeah. he's Hoyden. He, he can lie to you if he wants. Um, I, I think that it really works well because of the, um, like the TV show little subplot mm. for like foreshadowing that, that Yumi is really into. I think like foreshadowing hadn't been in there. It would have felt a little bit too unearned to me, but um, I, that one little thing made True. me kind of accept that. Quick, 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 sorry, quick thing. Ala, is there any other light in your room? That you could turn I can on? just turn on the actual <laughs> light. The thing about the, the reason we couldn't let Yumi die in the end is that it would have been a betrayal of her character arc because like Yumi is in that mindset of I'm the Yokihijo. I have to sacrifice myself for the people. Mm. I have to do my duty. Mm. I have mm-hmm. to. It's not about what I want. I've made my peace with the fact that Painter and I can't be together. And it was always going to be something brief. And you can see that she sort of starts leaning back into that like duty before all, you know, smothering her heart sort of mindset and she's ready to sort of fade out with with the rest you know she's saved everyone it's their time to move on and i love that it's sort of painter telling her like no you can make the choice you're allowed to have a life if you want a life and it becomes this like character climax moment where she chooses um and she decides she wants to have something for her that is like I, I i would have been very upset if we had had like of course upset to lose the character because it would have been a tragic ending but i think it would have been a betrayal of her arc if we'd let her sort of like stateless stately fade into the background after she's done done the correct and proper thing uh that's a very it's valid of- point and so i like that a lot for sure yeah it's part of what makes the romance work, I think, also because they, they both help each other with their problems. And so I love that she kind of calls him out of his problems and, and helps him to kind of move out of that funk and, and kind of confronts his friends about it as well. And then and then on the other hand, he kind of draws her and pulls her out of that mindset as well. And so, yeah, it's a great it's, way to It's also her. like the ultimate like moment because he... Paint, because we, we have this established at the start that he was trying to paint something on that wall and that he spends a lot of the book just painting bamboo because like he lost his mm-hmm. artistic passion. So this is both like a big character moment for Yumi because she chooses to come back and live and also a big character moment for Nikaro because he paints again <laughs> i'm sorry I, i'm not selling this as well as i should no, but I, you know what I'm i saying. totally get it because it, no it, I, I get it it's the dual character climax type thing yeah 100%. yeah and it's like it fits the genre because it is a fantasy romance and the like the key aspect of a romance is that the couple can go through trouble but they will ultimately have a happy ending that's the difference between romance and tragedy so True. It would be a yeah by necessity. Capital R romance has to have a happily ever after, and there have been so many discussions about this with my friends who are romance readers. Interesting. So yeah, I don't read romance. So I, I, I think a lot of like Nikara's relationship with his art, um, particularly where we find him at the start of the book, um, and the way that it also intersects with his relationship with his friends is 
I think it is such a heartbreaking scenario, especially when you find out like he's painting bamboo because he's lost his, you know, the joy of something that was once so important to him. You know, I think it's so telling that so much of the narration in his point of view doesn't use his name. It calls him painter because that's how he sees himself. And I don't believe the bit of narration at the very beginning where he's like, oh, because he's just, you know, a nightmare painter. And that's all he it's like. No, it's because that's a part of your identity that's like so important to you. But having having a character who has sort of given up on themselves to such an extent, who has decided that making any sort of effort just isn't worth it anymore because it's just going to. What's the point? You know, if it's good enough, it's fine. And has then like slumped to that point and then is trying to desperately convince themselves that they're happy there is like you can see through it immediately. It's very because you just you just want to see him be like, no, actually, I do care. And I do want to try and I do want to do something. And it's good. It's so good. Yeah. And. On that point of like art and like the theme and how it connects to painter's character, I think that's the part that like I related to the most. I've never gotten as bad as painter, but there are moments where I'm just like things aren't working and it's frustrating. Like, well, how am I ever um, just gonna nail it? Like these people I know just do so well, and I read them and I barely have any feedback to give because it's working so well, but also of like when it's working it's working and the frustration that it has been like really hard like to convey to like my parents for example when we're talking about this like i have very big issues with the publishing industry and how it works but i still want to do it because i love it yeah and then like i try to explain that and to my parents and they're like but why like is this really what you want to do and i'm like well, yes, that doesn't mean that the system isn't flawed and it's incredibly flawed. And it's really hard to like put that into words and like that duality of like, I love this, but sometimes it can be so hard that there are moments that you're like, well, I'll see what happens. But when it works, it really works and it reminds you why you love it so much. And I think that this book just really captured that feeling in a way that... I mean, nothing ever had, honestly. I also liked how uh, the Dream Watcher are completely awful and he never could have gotten in. So I was like, oh, nice. See you, nice. Everything was screwed mm-hmm. because uh, nepotism and uh, privilege. Oh, nice. Nepotism. Speaking, speaking of Very industry good. being problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. It was yeah. nepotism all along. <laughs> yes. They're just such a, it's such a good pairing dynamic. The like, perfectionist who's trying way way too hard and the slacker who doesn't want to try at anything and the way that brandon has set up the plot so that they are literally tugging each other in yep. the same direction yep. in the it's like it's good couldn't, i couldn't love it more i could not yeah, and it, it, it's really strange i'm sorry i've been on this point a lot. um because like there are so many of like those like very like perfectionist uh, tendencies that I have. I mean, I am the person that will stitch an entire skirt by hand because I want it to come out well, even if a sewing machine will make it so much easier. I mean, things in like life and that that are like 
well, I can't be that perfectionist all the time. And then sometimes it slides to the other direction. And so finding that balance between both things um, it hasn't been easy. And I think that, I mean, this book, again, it captured both of those like sides like so well, which is why I don't think that I can relate to either Yumi or Painter like completely, like the most, like many people do, but just like this like gray area between both of them and like a bit where they are at the end. Um, that's it to me so hard. Speaking of characters everyone loves, what about Leon? <laughs> so well done. So well done. It, it was very interesting because obviously you hate her, right? And obviously paint her just like just like standing up for Yumi and just like ask her Leon. But also Leon's not evil. Right, just object. That's just not. Mm. Uh, she's she's perpetuating a system that I would say is bad, sure, and yeah. is like evil to an extent. But she is like she's so wrapped up in this system that she does not realize that what she is doing is, you know, to her it's to her it's normal. Like not even normal. The, it's the way it should be because other everyone else is giving up on this traditional way of things. Which, by the way, I really loved this. Like the reveal that Leon is the one trying to like preserve the conservative way of doing things because it's such a. Well, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to go through this to such an extent, but I imagine there's a lot of people like this who are raised in this super con super sure. like traditional conservative environment who then go out and realize that the world outside has moved on from that. I don't know. It, it's tricky because like, obviously, yes, her perpetuating this almost the all these really bad things that are cult like, really? Like, I think you could really kind of say that uh, like it's <laughs> not good. But at the same time, when painter slash Yumi like stick up for themselves Leon like isn't awful about it like it is she which does is go, have like a, it's just a phase response well, to this sure yeah. but like it's I was worried that Leon was like going to turn them in and like imprison them which was what Yumi feared and that did not happen right like that didn't happen mm -hmm. at all so it, it just didn't turn know. out the way I thought it would especially that you know she's a Nightmare. I, I do think cool. like her response was still felt really demeaning towards Yumi, to me at least. Like she was not nice about it. Oh, sure. Sure. Like I'm pretty sure like uh, the way like I think Painter is the one who points out that she she also has a stake in Yumi not being in prison. Yeah. I, I I'm not as forgiving of her as Painter is. <laughs> um I, I I think that she would have turned them in eventually, turned Yumi in eventually, like if, if it went on too long or something. I don't, th then again, I'm confused who she's going to turn her into when it's like everybody else is like, it's a little unclear to me, like how much of that is real, like how much of that is her lies to like force Yumi in line and how much of it is, is real because like there's all these other Yokohijo that are not like following these rules. So like nobody's, why are they going to enforce rules differently for her than not them? I, I don't know. It's kind of a, a whole it's to yeah. me that's not really 
quite explored. I mean, but um, she I, was really like there. There is also like the small side issue of like how much of her behavior was the machine yeah, trying sure. to enforce it on Yumi. But like I, I don't want this to like absorb Leon because she says some really abhorrent things to Yumi over the course of the book. And like she she thinks she's doing it for Yumi's good, but she does say some pretty awful things. I really like Leon as a character, not as a person. Mm-hmm. I think Brandon did a really amazing job of like you do really hate her because like this is an abusive scenario. She is incredibly unfair to Yumi. She is, you know, deeply unsympathetic to any of Yumi's struggles. And yet, I think what we start to see about Liyun once Painter has come into the picture, it doesn't make her sympathetic, but it makes her understandable is is how I would put it. Um, Painter has a really good line about like, he can tell that Liyun is someone who drinks her own poison. Um, and it's like, mm, yeah, that's a she she's not doing this to Yumi because she just wants Yumi to suffer. She is holding herself to the same kind of impossible pressure, awful standard, and is just perpetuating that. Um, and I love how we see Yumi like deliberately make the choice not to be like Li Yun because she can see like, okay, Leon believes this and she's passed it on to me. And now I believe it, but I have the choice not to pass on this kind of behavior. Um, you know, and I think in the end, we do see that that strong sense of duty and, you know, that Leon has ends up being how she's able to sort of break through. And the painter sees that there's a strength in that. Um, she's done so much awful with it, but he knows, you know, if he can tell Nightmare Liyun, you need to serve the Yokihijo, you need to get this to her. Liyun does have that strong sense of um, self, uh, oh, the word like identity. She, yeah, the, <laughs> identity is a good is a good word for it. Like she can hold on to that sense of what she needs to do and will do it at all cost, and ends up being a part of what saves the day. And it's. Yeah, I like it's that. A, it's a sympathetic understanding of why people do awful, awful things to people without absolving her. And it reminds me a lot of like the whole situation with Abuela and Encanto um, and like the standard she holds like to her family, but also to herself. Like you see that um, without getting into too many spoilers, it's there and it gets back to that toxic perfectionism of like, I have these standards for other people, but I hold myself to those high standards. And that just just has this like effect on all the future generations um, that somebody has to break out of. And like, if you want to go more into that, um, Cinema Therapy has a great episode on Encanto where they talk about like how those standards affect community and affect like, through generations. And it's a very different kind of antagonist. Um, that's become more prevalent and I think it's important to talk about because these are things that real people experience. There are lots of people who like, or their families or they do it themselves. Like they hold themselves to these standards and it can get into a very toxic mentality. And so I, I like the, 
representation of the different types of antagonists that aren't just objectively evil or yeah. I mean it feels very different than many other of Brandon's books too. Yeah. This book really doesn't have like a, a, a central antagonist I guess like Lagoon no. is probably the, the primary mm-hmm. antagonist you know the probably machine? the machine is behind the scenes right but you like during the, over the book like um, mm-hmm. Lagoon is kind of the main antagonist the scholars to a small degree you know but the they're setting not really... is the antagonist really honestly Nicaro is his own antagonist about him that's the interesting thing though is that like, the characters are both like Yumi's kind of her own worst problem too because she's so you know fixated on like her responsibility and her duty and Leun is a really good foil to that where she's kind of the same way um, she Yumi got it from her um, but she's she's able to kind of st- any, if, if there is anything in her that wants something different, she stuffs that down. Whereas Yumi, you know, just can't do that. So, um, I don't know. She's an interesting foil to, to Yumi. I think, um, I, th- this is a, a small thing, but, um, one little tidbit, um, the, when we first meet Liyun, she's wearing like an all black dress. And then in chapter six, when like Yumi's in her wagon and she enters the door and she looks up and Leon is like just a shadow in the oh, door. Really? And I thought it was a really cool oh. like foreshadowing that, uh, that Leon is the stick. Because in, in between those chapters is oh, when, oh, when like uh, Nakaru like faces the stable nightmare. And so it's oh, kind of that's a fun cool. That's for cool. sure. This book is rereadable for sure. <laughs> I will admit, like my my thoughts on Leon don't go as deep as you y'all's. My <laughs> my basic thought on Leon is like horrible person, cool monster. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was a really cool reveal. It's like, oh, Leon's like hunting Yumi specifically. I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty sweet, actually. Like, yeah. I really dug mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I, I really love that the, we tied the stable nightmare into the plot, not just, it's not like some overarching evil cackling villain, it's actually just Leon trying to get her girl back. <laughs> and, and, and Painter using that, which I, I did think was very cool, that like, mm-hmm. she's awful, but there's humanity in there, even as... She's awful, but she's usefully awful. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating character. I, I love the way that Painter in particular is the solution to a character like Lee Yoon in a way that Yumi, I don't think ever would have been able to break out of this sort of like cycle that she was in. Um, she she just doesn't have the ability to be irreverent enough <laughs> in order to, to yeah. push back in the way that like... Half measures wouldn't have worked on Leon. She's too good at sort of shutting down dissent and keeping, you know, keeping control of her situation. You need someone like Painter who doesn't care if he's going to make a scene. In fact, maybe enjoys making a scene a little bit as he breaks the rules (laughs) and throws tradition out the window and sort of is able to (laughs) revel in the outrage that he causes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like, I love how you see that Yumi is like horrified because it's, it's her worst nightmare. Ha ha ha. Ha Um, But, (laughs) but it ends up being the thing that she needed because it does. Leon does give concessions. She does go along with like, okay, you are the Yoki Hijo and I do have to do what you say. And she finds out about things like the reform movement that she never would have 
like painter painter and who he is as a person was the answer to a situation that Li Yun had set up against them. I will say that earlier description you gave, were you talking about Nikaro or were you talking about Dear Venture? <laughs> okay, listen. Okay, I've been trying really, 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 really hard not to mention my own characters, but there's a lot of similarities between Nikaro and Dear, and I love both of them. Watch Secrets and Stained Glass. Synergy, same channel. Please, please watch Secrets and Stained Glass, everybody. And I'll, put, I'll put a thing in the card. Uh, Alex has put a lot of effort in the things. I have. I feel a lot of things. And yeah. Nikaro tapped into a well that had already been dug really, really deep. So, really deep. You know. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Alex, you said something that reminded me of a, a cool like theme I noticed that um, there, early on it's mentioned that like the people of Kilehito like uh, basically just like avoid the nightmare. They pretend the nightmares don't exist, like they don't build windows like facing out or they just like want to like pretend that they're not there um, and mm -hmm. the, the painters just have to deal with it. Um, but um, and so I, I, I love this idea that like these people are like trying to ignore the nightmares. And like when you look at Painter and Yumi, a, a lot of these characters like they they they're kind of doing the same thing right where like this nightmare of their own past or their own kind of life they're just sort of uh, avoiding it um and so i i thought that was a i don't know an interesting little insight to an interesting parallel that brandon wrote into who those characters are uh talking about some of the maybe the characters on painter's side with uh his his friend squad who are not really uh -huh. his friends anymore but I really liked the way that these like you can kind of talk about these characters as a group. Um, like I have feelings about all of them individually, but what they are sort of as a unit to painter, I think is really fascinating um, because we see them from the outside and we can see the way that he's warped his perception of them of like, they're the popular kids. They're mean and they don't care about people and they're just rude and like he has to kind of convince himself that he wouldn't want to be friends with them anyway. And then as Yumi starts to interact, it's like, oh, no, actually, they're kind of wonderful. And they're nice people who have a reasonable objections to the way their friend lied to them for an entire year and betrayed them. Yeah. Um, Akane was amazing. Oh, my God. Like you mentioned the shopping scene already, but ugh. Like girls taking care of girls, it was done so well. I love how Brandon put oh. in a gym bro. <laughs> it's very funny. It's like this is not what I expected in the Cosmere, but that's that's relatable, you know. Every friend squad has the gym bro, the strange obsessed obsessed with paranormal girl, the fashionable girl, the interdimensional alien. Yeah, the, the bug monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every friend group. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much by law. Akane was so, you know, realized that Yumi was someone who needed help and took time out of her day to help this poor girl who'd seemingly been abandoned by her terrible brother who wasn't even watching her in the big city. <laughs> Which, um, realistically, <laughs> thinking in Akane's head, is just like, oh my god, are you kidding me, Nikaro? Right. Like, so, like, I, I so need badly. to help this girl. Holy crap, man. Yeah. I, oh. I will say, say like the the painter's POVs really managed to trick me into believing his version of events that those were terrible people and like to an extent where it took 
I, I'm too trusting, clearly, because it took me until that scene where they reveal what actually went oh, down really? between that them. Long? Okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I was waiting like for the other shoe to drop. I, I I was waiting for the other shoe to drop and for some reveal about how like they, I don't know, were using her to get back at Nicaro, whatever. So yeah. I am very naive, apparently, when it comes to characters that are <laughs> like me, Carol. But also speaking of characters who are just like me for real, I, I love the little detail of Izzy really being into aliens. Izzy. <laughs> yes. The representation we needed. God bless Izzy. Great. Oh. In just a story where we meet aliens and it's just nothing. I, that might be. Not my favorite, but it's just really funny. <laughs> Valid. By Icon is. Yep. I love um, Masaka's like weird, like little painting, like uh, sketches that she does for Yumi to uh, where she draws like a bunny and says like, it's cute like you, but it's like super creepy. It's like, oh, so you're, you're she's asleep. She's trying so hard. Oh, she's yeah. trying to make sense. I love her. Yeah. Also, Masaka's little line about like, all aliens <laughs> are friendly actually at the table as they're all talking about <laughs> aliens. Like, <laughs> oh. Oh. I, I, I love those. I love Akane. They're such a collection of just creatures that I want to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I love the diversity of the friend group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true to life. Like, my friends are just nothing like each other. I love the way that, like, even as we've seen sort of this group has morphed in Nikaro's mind about how they're worse people than he remembers them being, as we get to know them better and as we see, like, oh, actually, they're pretty okay and they're kind of nice, we can see from the way they talk about him that the same thing has happened in reverse too, that they have a much less charitable picture of Nicaro and have sort of turned him into someone who is worse than he actually is. Um, and I, I really enjoy the way that it takes like Yumi standing up for him and saying like, Hey, don't you know that he's like miserable about what happened and he feels awful and how hard it was for him to be in that situation and it doesn't you know it doesn't make up for what he did it doesn't excuse it but you're over here you know making fun of him and hoping that he's upset and sad like he is he is upset and sad you don't you don't need to hope for him to feel worse it was like oh that was such a and and it, and it got through to them because they were like good people and decent decent friends that they listened to her about him that conversation could have gone a lot worse if it's like well just why aren't you feeling for the the person who lied to you so you you may attack that really well because <laughs> that, that yeah, could have gone really yeah. badly i i really liked the scene where tojin um like sticks up for him in the end um decides to kind of take his word for it and, and go with it. It was kind of inspired, I guess, by the way that he thought he saw yeah, Nicaro like defending him or whatever. But um, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a really well-written scene um, where he, he decided to stand up for him. I was just like, Oh, well, you know, if he's lying, yeah, whatever. That's not a big deal, but let's, let's humor him. And it was just so good. I, I was actually really concerned that the nightmares weren't going to come. Like, that was a big stress that, like, they all pulled out for him. And then he would just be like, but they told me they would come and they're not coming. Ah. 
stressful. I loved the way that it's it's such a small moment of the plot, but the way that Akane approached like, what do we do if the nightmares don't come? And the way that she had this sort of quiet moment with Nikaro where she's like, maybe you are seeing things that aren't really there and you think that they're there, but you know, it was, it was so sympathetic that she wasn't going to blame him and she wasn't going to get upset if it turned out this didn't happen after he told them it would. Um, just very sort of kindly saying, maybe you should consider getting help. And, and I think that sort of an, a scenario can go really badly for characters. Like, mm, I think maybe actually you're crazy, but you could tell with Akane that it came from a place of like actually deep concern about him that he might be unwell. Um, and I, she was just a lovely character. Oh, oh. I, I, I feel like you could tell that from the very beginning, like from chapter one, when he first bumps into them, like a part of like his little small talk with her and Tojin was like, I mean, it was just kind of, casual small talk but like she like was coming to him and trying to make conversation with him and i guess mm -hmm. my intuition of her the whole way through is like he hurt them he hurt their friend group and like izzy in particular she is is really shut down and really angry at what he did but i feel like akane i get the sense that she's been trying to reach out to him and trying to reconnect with him for you know the last year and, and he's been pushing her away and so i, I it, mm -hmm. There was a lot communicated about her and who she is, I think, in, yeah. in very few words that uh, was, and it, was really touching. It does match well the story, like when when Yumi starts first digging into like what happened between you, like when he tells, uh, tells Yumi that Akane was the first one to reach out to this kid from the sticks that he was at the time. So, yeah, it's mm -hmm. low-key really good character. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I gotta say, uh, a standout other star of this book, every word design said in the entire book. Uh, 10 out of 10, hilarious, yes. constantly. Yes. Iconic. Yes. Just, oh my God, I'm, I love her. I'm so glad she exists. Uh, I, uh, she could have been just mm -hmm. left in Kolinar. Brutal. What, what a de depressing Imagine state. <laughs> what a loss the world it would be to the world yes yes but just just a crazy noodle restaurant owner this is amazing i love her so much she's like my favorite world hopper character at the moment mm. like i i had i had designed for free books and you know if anyone anything happened to her terrible things and like she she also like aside from being iconic and excellent and legend and however that meme went she's also really good like a vehicle to get cosmere information to the True. reader like e even like because she there is this character mm -hmm. archetype of like the cookie mentor who does some mm -hmm. job that feels like it shouldn't bestow great <laughs> wisdom upon that's you, true. right? That's true. But and yet she's the <laughs> she one that's like here to step in and assist when necessary. And she slides right into this archetype. And that means that Brandon has a very easy way to just convey the Cosmere right information like, oh, this is a machine that can measure how magic you are. Oh, this just means how magic you are, this investiture word. Oh, hey, meet this alien whose bugs, which makes sense because <laughs> this is being to introduced to you by such a fundamentally weird person. 
Like mm-hmm. that part, I think, of the Cosmere references, yeah. I think works really well. I think maybe Hoyd's narration about like, oh, it was really like a complex light weaving and stuff. Maybe that throws people out of it, but the sign mm-hmm. is just so wacky and weird. She's the best. Brandon's mm-hmm. humor for me can be really hit or miss, and design is just perfect. Like, okay. I don't know. I, I enjoyed everything with her. That was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say that it is so impressive that every word out of uh, design's mouth is genuinely hilarious. Like, not just going into the weird, kooky, eccentric route. Like, she's actually legitimately very funny. Um, and it was a joy mm-hmm. to have her on screen. Yep. I need to go reread the dog and the dragon, like with with this like personality <laughs> mind, like, when she's yeah, it's definitely the same personality. I, yeah. I'll say, but yeah. yes, <laughs> I I also feel like she like it's it's maybe easy to forget in the midst of all of her other designiness that she is up to as the plot goes on, but she actually fulfills like a very key plot role in terms of for like the character arcs. Being the, I think, the only character in the entire series who's able to talk to Painter and Yumi yep. at the same time. Both of them. Absolutely. Um, and that's, like, I think it was really necessary in a way that I maybe didn't realize until later. Like, oh, if we had lacked that in the book, I would have missed it. It was, it was an important thing to be able to have where their interactions are not just... They needed to be able to interact as a pair with somebody else for that to work. I I love when he first like walks in with Yumi and he's like, Painter, you died. (laughs) 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 Oh, good. And just so good. I I did also really need the explanation as to why Yumi looked like more like Yumi in Painter's body. Because I'm like, wait, what? But then I just... Just a little bit of Cosmere stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. That that's enough for me. Whereas if it wasn't in a connected universe, that would just be like, really? Like that seems arbitrary. But it's like, oh no, that makes sense. So on the, also a thing about design, she reminds me of a different character who's gonna be like a deep Cosmere deep cut because it's from an unpublished work. Sure, I think like Brandon put a lot of X from Mythwalker into design because i don't know if you're familiar with myth walker i've technically you, read it but i couldn't tell okay, you so in, in, in myth walker there is talking this, about this in the chat hmm. in myth walker which is an unpublished book that was later cannibalized into warbreaker hmm. and one of the things that did not make it into warbreaker was a character of x who was like this shadow spirit creature that took the form of a human and was really trying hard to convince everyone that it was a human. He was mm-hmm. a human and he was absolutely acting human. And he was talking like he had, there was this running gag with X where he was talking about how the things, things he does are so very human. Like imagine whenever, whenever design that says that thing, like how she's, you know, doing a human thing, that's basically X's running gag. And I, I'm still hoping that we will get X into the plot yet because he was such a precious blurball in Mythwalker. <laughs> but I think design is the closest we have at the moment. Yeah. Uh, also with Hoyd, 
uh, I I did not miss the reference. How's like, hey, remember when someone tampered with our memories? I made defenses, and that that didn't go yeah. super great. And it's like, oh yeah, hmm, tampering with Hoy's memories. So we we saw that in the before. It's nice. Coat rack Hoyd, pretty great, pretty excellent use of Hoyd. I think I like the artwork of to a coat rack Hoyd. That was good. It is very funny. Yeah. Interesting that the machine tried um, to eat him and not the Zine. I don't really know why that is, but sure, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. We need to ask about that at some point. Maybe, maybe Hoyd is like more invested than Design. That's probably. True. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There is some Cosmere weirdness that, like, I'm just like, okay, I guess it, I guess it worked that way. I'm sure there's maybe some Cosmere reason for it, and I'm not, I'm just not going to stress about it too much here. <laughs> I, I feel like this is the sort of thing. There's probably a couple. There's a couple of things in this novel that, to me, like, I'm thinking like realmatically, like, how, like what's the explanation for this? Yeah. And I, I think it's the sort of thing where Brandon is like, this is the story I wanted to tell, and he's going to like BS whatever kind of like magic explanation yeah. that he needs to explain it away, and and he will. So I think that everything probably has some kind of answer, but it's just kind of like. It's not like this particularly meaningful, like, oh, yes, I, I thought about this and this is why it works because it needs to for it's just like it works because of because this is what it Trust needs to is be. very similar in that regard, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. My um, armchair realmaticist idea Ooh. about how this works is that it has to do with whatever they had to do to design to get her off of Roshar. Sure. Know? Easy. Maybe there's some kind of, sure. uh, yeah, oh, I had, like to, had to do stuff there because mm-hmm. normally Sprint can't leave. So maybe she's like protected from connections like that. Sure. I don't know. Sure. Or maybe like that the, the radiant bond helped mm-hmm. preserve her or something. Yeah, sure. Why not? She's he's probably fifth ideal at the stage. Sure, why not? Design sure. is just built different. So, so, yeah. there, there's so much <laughs> cosmere BS that can explain anything really. That it's like oh, I'm not <laughs> super concerned about Straight it. Really. Jumbo jumbo. Yeah. So, somebody threw out the idea that the machine is specifically like seeking for um like virtuosity's investiture which i could believe mm-hmm. that like hoid predating sure yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of that yeah. yeah so like there's there's answers i don't brandon will come up with some kind of answer that, that works. i love that we just open with virtuosity not relevant at all in the entire story <laughs> i did a whole video it's like wow we're gonna learn a lot about virtuosity nothing yeah. in fact mm-hmm. i would say that Virtuosity splintering was was way before the father machine stuff, like way before that, because presumably the yeah. splinters of virtuosity like are the spirits that were used in yeah. the machine, right? And mm-hmm. and like Hoyd like says, like he phrases that she splinters herself, so it's not like herself. the the father machine tore her to pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but just just I, no, nothing on virtuosity. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely see that this magic system appears to be one that is based in the concept of virtuosity. Uh, yes, for um, sure. Yeah. So, which uh, is not virtue, but, uh, just to be clear. Right. Look up like that word. It's, it's virtuoso. Skilled. Yes. yes. Virtuoso. Being, being skilled at yes. something. Yes. I am really intrigued that we have like there's apparently two colors associated with virtuosity. Like I would have been certain that this is like a diashardic like True. harmony kind of situation because of the the two colors like there, there's just so I, 
It, the spirits literally, when they turn into devices, split into two pieces. Which is like, yeah. what? <laughs> Maybe that's just like because of the way Virtuosity splintered herself or some weird crap. Maybe. Like, sure, easy. I guess. Did we get an answer that there is something with the color yellow that's missing? Uh, apparently, there there was a word of Brandon where it was intentional. Apparently, okay. So I, I don't. Yes, that's from the yeah, stream. I, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, because if people, I'm I'm personally a, I'm personally a little bit skeptical that it's like a like an in universe significance like I, I might the way i interpret what brandon is saying is it if there's it's open to like be like just it's intentional in the sense that like i don't know he he liked the <laughs> color balance because the colors work well you know what i mean like it wasn't like a, oh yes there's some in cosmic reason like oh yellow is like involved in this realmatically somehow maybe, maybe the yellow be, but... is on uh the shodel planet easy did you think oh, about yeah, that yeah, that's where the third color is <laughs> sure <laughs> Technically, the fourth know. color, because black is the fourth color in the CYMK black. color scheme. Mm. So, you know. No, we did get black. Part of it. We did get black. I, I, so it turns out the virtuosity was like just a really big fan of printers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that, that's, and, and of course, virtuosity broke because she's a printer. Printers always bad. decide to break themselves. Yeah, yeah, it really makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it really, actually, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that's my lore. Let's put it on the copper mind. Don't you do Guys, she ran out of the yellow ink. There's just no more yellow ink. <laughs> we have the uh, we have cyan and magenta. She was but... like, I don't have a any adenalcium approved ink to put in this cartridge. Ah, disaster. So see, the shroud is what happens when you put the ink from the wrong brand into the printer. True. True. Yes. Yeah. Hey guys, Romatics is fun, actually. I see why you guys do this. This is fun. This is a good time. It's a good time. I do like that they um that they worked the colors into the the cover of the book. Yeah. Like they, they made their uh they made Yumi and Painter yellow on the on the uh, the cover, just to, I feel like I like to imagine it was just because they're like, oh, we gotta we gotta do CMYK. Yeah, on the cover. yeah, yeah. And, well, and like the know. two colors, having two colors helps with the dualism of like the two worlds and stuff. And so yeah. It, yeah. you you couldn't have a third one. That doesn't make any sense. I I kind of like the vibes of like the color there or the cover also looks a little bit like if they ended up on one of the like. TV shows True. later on, like you're seeing yes. it on one of the like oh, viewers. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, I like that. Their story should be told. I know Hoyd said it's not gonna be, but listen, he's telling it to somebody on Roshar. They can take it back and make the TV <laughs> show. They can take it back. That, 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 this yeah. one's was definitely obvious. It's like, oh, he's telling to Roshar. It's okay, got it for sure. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. do love that the spirits are like, oh, you know, we can become. Ion and they, we really like the dramas actually they're actually really good um, but good luck with the technology aspect guys uh, with Ion going away kind of but yeah. it's still around it's it's still it's still, but just like it's still one of those oh the world has totally changed now for that that entire society I like to imagine that it's like a Monsters Inc. situation where like the 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 uh, the hijo like the spirits are like 
more productive now that they're like doing it willingly. And so they're Ooh, like giving true. more energy. <laughs> true. Like, machines <laughs> not like consuming that. its share to keep itself going. Mm -hmm. so, like, Which, sure. Yeah. yeah. I believe that. The, the Heon mm -hmm. the Heon is such a ridiculous like power source because please consider the fact that they were able to extend Heon lines from one planet to another planet. To another yeah. planet. And let me actually let me actually Google because like the when it comes to like bi, uh, binary planet systems, which is what uh, Komashi and Utol are, uh, we do actually have an example of a binary planet system in our solar system. That's Pluto and Charon, which used oh, to be classified as Pluto's moon. Planets, get out of here! It works. Not real Pluto planets. is not a planet, but Pluto and Charon are a double planet system. They're double ice dwarf planetary systems. And the, so. the distance <laughs> between Pluto and Charon in freedom units is 12,200 <laughs> miles. So for the non-Americans among us, that's almost 20,000 kilometers. Oh, wow. Nobody knows what those okay. numbers mean. I, mm, <laughs> I don't know how much that necessarily would relate to Earth-like planets. Uh, they, they, th those are very differently sized objects. Yeah, I, I know, but like this is just the, a lot. the ballpark we are in when it comes to distance. I mean, well, the fact like, that they made a space elevator before they made a like rocket to get to the other planet is interesting in terms of like what Hyon can do. I don't really know how they actually extend this, but presumably I mean, you can extend it a while. So sure, I guess. Yeah. And also like just the, the mental image of those two planets being connected by those strings of blue and yeah. blue oh. and pink lines yeah. is really nice. Oh my God. How does that deal with, with the orbits and stuff? Let's not worry about that too much. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need another math discussion on this podcast. No, no, we don't. It was very wise of Brandon to like not give us any characters who are like scientific minded or what like nobody it's just like oh it's like i turn on the light switch i don't know how the wires work like nobody knows about how any of this technology <laughs> works so brandon doesn't have to like, worry about it <laughs> i i will say did you guys get the sense from the way that hoyd talked about it that utol is like a really important cosmere hub Sort yeah, of a definitely that's a like, significant event happened there that of Cosmere right. significance. So like you you would have yeah, heard like, it, right? Yeah. Like Hoyt is talking about like, oh, we'll hop on the spaceship and then once we get there, we'll we'll be able to like get to other places in the Cosmere. And I'm like, how come the people on the little tiny darkness planet were the ones who had to make first contact if the Utol people are such a cosmopolitan <laughs> well, like, did they I, never just check on their next door neighbors? <laughs> I would Why guess. Go this direction. If, if I were to guess, my guess is not like the Utol are super cosmopolitan. I think my guess is that the virtuosity's perpendicularity is on Utol. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Sure. That would yeah. be. Easy, it's, it was sure. a planet that used to have a shard. And we know from like Elantris and Dor that yep. planets with dead shards still have perpendicularities. So I think my guess would be that Utol is more like Cosmere famous because that's the planet where the perpendicularity is. I do still think there were events that Maybe. other people would have heard of, that there's like something that, important that there. Too. But, uh, yeah, I, th I think something did happen there, but 
the perpendicularity has to be somewhere and sure. since Hoyt and Design are leaving by spaceship, then it's probably not on Komashi. I'd also say even if they did have spaceships going to the Shroud planet, like maybe they tried and then they all died and then they're like, okay, let's not do that. That was that was a bad idea. Let's let's we're we're just gonna die and I don't know. <laughs> it, or also like, I, oh, they're not advanced enough or some, some some crap like that. Like there's there's like three different explanations. There are reasons. It's it, it's it could very well be something that happens after this, the events of this story, right? Like they could get some technology and something happens between now and the time that was telling sure. it. I wonder if it's just like the nature of the, the showdown being there. Like, I don't, maybe like they've not, this is the first like encounter they've had with like a whole planet of show. It's like a total theme society. And maybe the show are like, eh, maybe if these, this fane ecosystem intersects with the other one, that'll, that'll lead to problems. And so let's just not deal with that. That's possible too. We should we should probably m- mention like what. Yeah, Shodel let's mention what Shodelar briefly. Uh, <laughs> well, I have no idea. People keep using the word "fane." I don't know what it means. Oh, so. we don't I know can... very much either. But let's let's. <laughs> we don't know what it means. People talk I, about I it talk like about they it. know some things, and I'm like, that's a thing I don't know nothing about. Shodel are one of the three species from Yolen, the original planet from which all the shards came. There were humans, Shodel, and dragons. And uh, Yolen was unusual because it had two ecosystems, basically. The normal, like what we'd call Earth-like and the Fane ecosystem, which was invasive. It was, there was a lot of color white and (laughs) it tended to produce creatures with six limbs. So Shodel have four arms and two legs. Dragons have four legs and two wings. Those are both Fane species. And so, like, part part of the thing in the Liar of Partners sample chapters was the c- competition of the ecosystems. And essentially, Shodel are, like, the fane equivalent of humans, humans type thing, where they're, like, the they're the sapient species of the ecosystem type thing. Ulida, the uh, vessel of ambition, Shodel, if you, if you see the two words like that. Ulida was a Shodel, so. And... It, it could well be that Utol is interesting from Cosmere's standpoint because this is the first planet we've seen in Cosmere that has primarily Shodel population. Absolutely. Because the, the only the only times we've seen Shodel before in the Cosmere is the fact that Ulida was a Shodel mm-hmm. and that there was this one, there there are guides through the cognitive realm from the end of the Lost Metal yep, from Melam's epilogue. There as well. So this is this is the first time we see Shodel in like modern day. They have a homeland somewhere that aren't like super cannibalized old dragon steel things. That's like, ah, what's going on with mm-hmm. them? How much is canon? <laughs> Who knows? Mm-hmm. But those are the canon things. That's what we know. Uh, there could be other shards that are Shodel. That's possible. We don't. Know. Uh, but there's only one dragon of the 16. So there you go. That's what we know of Shodel. Their uh, other ecosystem. That's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You, you can you can read the original Dragon Seal Prime sample chapters where they're fighting on the Shattered Plains on Yolen and they're fighting Shodel and not Parshendi. It's bonkers. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in the description. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. very bizarre. <laughs> and when we get 
the words of Radiance uh, Leatherbound, we will see Dragonsteel Prime. We'll have an episode on it. And I'm glad it's not happening this year because there's been a lot of Brandon. Oh, my God. Shodell. Uh, I like that we have new Sleepless. Like, that's cool. I don't know what's going Masaka's on. With the great. Yeah, the, the the reference to like the war or whatever that she's like trying to get out of is super. I don't know. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah. Interesting. Any sleepless lore, I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, actually, as we were talking, I also realized that Nicaro and all of his friends are unemployed now because you don't need painters anymore. Have well, fun with that, guys. Got, he's got a noodle shop. You know, I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah, okay, he's <laughs> not. Uh, I'd like to imagine that the painters, since they are the ones trained to like interact with the supernatural, they are the ones who are like, because there are no more Yokihijo, right? That's true. That's true. So maybe the painters, maybe some painters found a new job as just like spirit negotiators. Spirit negotiators. <laughs> true. That's possible. For sure. I like that. For sure. Yeah. Well, and we at least know that Masaka is a waitress at the noodle princess excellent that fits great for that which i love that they named it noodle princess i love that the little gag they had about yumi being the noodle princess came back like this that's pretty so good cute. Yeah. yeah uh i mean speaking of like there aren't really yokihijo anymore do we want to talk at all about like hey what are yokihijo in the first place, you know, yeah. I have some questions. I mean, don't we all? It's hard to say how they got super invested super young. I think that's my main question. Uh, I like how there's no more than 16 of them. Did <laughs> you notice that? That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I like how they are designs like, oh, that you're like a Lantrian invested level like oh my god okay <laughs> that's crazy that i think is the thing that like confuses me a little bit about the yokihijo is like supposedly they are so powerful like have power levels equal to some of the most powerful entities in the cosmere and yet we don't actually like see powers that they really have like mm. They're able to do things yeah. and be interesting to like cognitive entities. But I, I I tend to think of that as like sort of a side effect of being invested in a lot of ways of like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You have like a stronger ability to import, impart your will upon the Cosmere if you're very invested or, you know, you're, you're more interesting to cognitive entities like the, the spirits, um, as opposed to those like being the power we don't see any other powers that yumi has she does give um some of her own investiture when she's binding the spirits yeah there is um, a bit of that so that's she, true yeah it, it doesn't seem like some particularly impressive amount that she's giving up but it, it's something um i guess she has to be invested enough that when she does that she can like restore herself Oh, it regenerates. What does that even mean? But like, I, I don't know. Yeah. If I were to make my little like realm adventure into realmatics with this, uh, my guess would be that whatever, either whatever magic the Yokihijo were once able to do died with virtuosity in some manner. That's true. Or, oh, okay. or this world did not figure out how to use the Yokihijo magic system before 
before they got all eaten. But even before they all got eaten, uh, it I mean, they, they had the spirit binding, yes. No, 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 but what I'm saying is, like, it didn't seem like a nice place to live with all the superheated crowd. Like, you, you really kind of did need, need some help. So it seemed like they were busy doing that. And so whoever figured that out, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, like, really useful. So do that. And maybe didn't have enough. enough time to experiment with other mm-hmm. weird crap. Yeah, my, my guess is, like, my, like far out realmatics guess is that they are for some reason born with like big splinters of virtuosity in their sure. soul yeah sure that's and that's that's why they are just yeah. randomly randomly it, powerful it'd be interesting if there was something like maybe sometime in the past the yokihijo had like a different role or like maybe mm. actually did have powers but i wonder if there could be anything to like all of the ritual uh, treatment of them and the way that they are sort of handled throughout their lives. Maybe like maybe there were originally reasons for all of those, like the ritual bathing and the meditation and mm. all of this that had something to do with whatever they were before. Like, I don't know, like maybe mm, the Yokihijo were dangerous and needed to mm. sort of be controlled in this way. Oh, that's you know, so interesting. There's, there could be, there could be all sorts of fascinating reasons. Mm-hmm. If you if you have someone so invested that they can impose their will upon the Cosmere, maybe letting them do stuff was dangerous. Yeah. Oh, and maybe like the cultish aspects mm-hmm. are we need to focus this very specifically. Otherwise there's gonna be yeah. problems. And maybe like yeah. maybe like a young Yokihijo could just pick up a spoon and the spoon turns into a butterfly or whatever. I am like um I guess I'm a little bit skeptical that they existed before virtuosity splintered herself because if if the spirits were created from that splintering then like they wouldn't have needed to exist to like bind the spirits and help people live there until after that happened you know what i mean so i my interpretation is that they came to about came they came about after the splintering but to be fair I guess it's kind of ambiguous the spirits could have existed and then just supercharged by vers- virtuosity splintering that's possible. Yeah. Sure. Maybe. That is no. how stranded on yeah, Russia. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it'd be fascinating it, if like their culture had come up with ways to sort of keep the Yoji the Yokihijo under control in the same way that we then later saw the machine had to find ways to keep the Yokihijo under control mm. because they were just like so powerful that they could cause problems if you didn't like the way to deal with them is hmm. not to defeat them; it's to sort of like trap them, keep them, keep them in a in a box, and convince them that everything's fine. I love that. Like, Actually, I wonder if there's any parallel there. While, while we are talking Yokihijo, I wonder because the, do I remember correctly? They did say that all Yokihijo are women, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which yes, uh, so. I found that part really interesting. Yeah, I do wonder, like, because, do, remind me, do we know if this is just like a coincidence? Like, it just so happened that the last 16, the last 14 Yokihijo were women, or do we know that historically they've always been women? My impression yeah. is that they were always. But... The, the, the name, meaning girl of commanding primal spirits, makes me assume that yeah. they're all girls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Actually, like, okay, yeah. like, uh, a little like cultural thing i wonder 
I wonder if, for example, if there was a boy born with the family, with the ability to be Okihijo, if they would be raised, if he would be raised as a girl in this society. Hmm. Maybe I don't know. That's interesting. Hey, that's also an interesting point about the name of like commanding primal spirits is quite a quite a term because I don't know that that actually lines up with what we see of Yumi's role at the start of the book. Um, you know, she draws the spirits to her and makes requests of them. Yeah. But yeah, I, sure. I wonder if she would potentially be capable with other training of actually commanding spirits in, in the way that maybe we see her do towards the end with the command she's able to exude over the shroud itself. That's, that's I wonder a good if point. That's, that's more in sure. line with what... Like maybe the name came from an earlier era where the Yokihijo were doing different things with their powers than yeah. they are now. Yeah. Now you're making me think of like Yokihijo fighting each other with giant armies oh of spirits. Uh, that sounds Which, amazing. Oh, it would be so cool. That's but it's also very mm -hmm. scary. I, love yeah, I don't have many uh, theories on the Yokihijo, which is still weird to say. Um, but I do think, again, it kind of feels like these secret projects have proven my point again and again of how just how powerful the Elantrians are because oh, nobody yeah, ever sure. believed me before speaking of commands uh what command was mm. the did the father machine have any thoughts no idea it did like, i mean hoyt like described all it did yeah but that's not like the command. protect yourself maybe it just was given like free comments to this effect i have no interest in the i can't even con conceive of an idea for this one i admit yeah no, i, I do agree. have an idea actually okay, oh, okay. But it just create energy yeah huh. mm -hmm. just like something it's, it's simple one that seems good but then it's like okay i'll do that and then i've just eat it all up to make this thing it, it doesn't really cover like the part where the machine defends itself does it i think I think you can gloss over that with just the aspect of that, like, there's some self, like, preservation aspect. Like, well, I think that could be a bit it, inherent into an awakened object um, that's powerful enough. Yeah, if, if it gets destroyed, it can't continue cre to create energy, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. So it has to defend itself so that it can fulfill its... Yeah. The, the paperclip machine, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's my thought, but uh, I, that's that's what I want to know here oh. if, we, if we are talking about like the the machine and the command yep how do you like we assume this is like the nalfi's awakening right open question and not like like because like either this is nalfi's awakening and that means that someone at some point came to that planet and just gave people a bunch of breaths and just left and left the children unsupervised with a bunch of breath or this is like awakening the same way that hoid's yol and light weaving is mm -hmm. light weaving mm -hmm. and we are about to find out this is some universal magic system or huh? option number three that i just came up with the scholars were nalfians <laughs> i mean that that, uh, that is actually possible for sure maybe uh, but i think it is more likely that they are not using breath and Hoyt is using it like in effect it 
basically acts like awakening and has the same traits, but is not like literally the Nalfian awakening. But there could be breath involved for sure. I'm definitely on like method number two of like, I think awakening is probably just a thing you can do in different magic systems. That would not surprise me whatsoever. I like the idea that awakening is sort of this generic Cosmere concept of using investiture and a command to sort of, I guess, grant sentience to a, or, or sapience or whatever, either one to mm-hmm. a thing that doesn't otherwise have it, mm-hmm. whether it's a dead thing or an inanimate thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's more likely. But there- There's certainly a question of like how they, like what investiture did they use and how did they get enough of it to do something that made a machine? Yeah, it seems like you need powerful. a lot for sure. <laughs> um, uh, so that that's an open question there's certainly a question of like how they like what investiture did they use and how do they get enough of it to do something that made a machine yeah it seems like you need a lot for sure Um, uh so that that's an open question i guess like some of the it could have like it's 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 wild that it reached out and was (laughs) able to consume the souls of like you know within like a 50 mile radius Uh, so i um maybe it like consumed the souls of like the sit- Torio city like first and like mm. that gave it enough investiture mm. to sure. like, okay. do more. Snowballed. But, um, yeah. Okay. It's also interesting that it stopped like that once it had gotten a hold of the spirits, it stopped like consuming people um, to the point where like the nomads yeah, who were sure. on the outskirts were able to like come in and live amidst the shroud. What bonkers mm. world building. Like, I know. This, this yeah. so I, I love it. I, I love it too. It's just like, oh wow, there's a there's a lot going on here. I like it. I will say that I am really glad that Nightblood cannot just sort of, um, I don't know, long distance consume souls. <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing, right? Like how? Why? <laughs> I have so many questions about Nightblood yeah. after this. Shroud stuff and like Nightblood smoke gotta be yeah. the same stuff absolutely right? 100 i mean like the shroud is basically like chewed up souls which yeah. is also like what nightblood does it chews up souls i think we're gonna have a shroud episode Damn. where we talk about all these things nightmares are kind of midnight essency that's that was my it really feels mm-hmm. a lot like that so i think we'll have a thing on that Cool. I think we've touched on most things. There, there is obviously lore and other stuff to talk about. But any final thoughts, everyone? This book is perfect, and I don't know how to be normal about it. So instead, I'm just going to be feral all the time about how much I love them and it and the storytelling and everything about it is flawless. Fight me if you disagree. <laughs> I have um, I've read this book six times and I'm excited, <laughs> to, get my, I'm excited to get my hardcover so that I can read it. Okay. Seven. You had said this on the legendary. I'm super. I remember that. I was like six. Wow. My friend, again, I'm excited to reread this when I get my physical, which yeah. is going to take a long time because I have to actually buy it because I didn't originally, but I am definitely getting the physical for this. Yeah, for sure. 
I'm really happy the book came out as well as it did. I did not expect it to, so I was very pleasantly surprised. Best romance Brandon has ever done. Here's hoping this moves on to other, yes. manages to apply these lessons in other books. I think just the plot gets in the way because it's just there's just so much to do in other books, whereas this book could really focus on it. One thing I should mention about the romance, because I appreciate that... This is going to sound weird talking about a Brandon book, but I appreciate this isn't a toxic romance because I, this might sound weird about me, but I do read a plenty of fantasy romances. And a lot of the time, the relationship is just not appealing at all. So I'm glad that Brandon's foray into the fantasy romance subgenre did not end up like this. Yeah. And yeah. well, after this, excited for Sunlit Men to come next. Yeah. Yes. Which is a very different book yeah. from this. <laughs> I, I think I said this in the Yumi channel, but I was like, I feel a little bit like I've become Lee Yoon now of like, oh, you just stacked 37 <laughs> spirits worth of rocks really well for the first time. Now I'm going to expect that you do that in every book from oh, here on like out. Romance. <laughs> like, why didn't you do that in all of the previous towns that we mm -hmm. visited, Brandon? We're going to... <laughs> I have expectations now. I know you're capable of it. <laughs> I have one more thought. This is another complaint oh, yes. I have. It's a big complaint. My pawn sticks. Okay. We, we gotta... <laughs> I know this doesn't matter, YouTube commenters. I know. No one cares other than me. Either it should be capitalized like my pawn, oh, or it should just be called chopsticks. Those are the two options. I don't know why we're doing a third option. And I don't like needing to change the my pawn stick copyright article. I think it's stupid. Just call them chopsticks. <laughs> like it's fine. Like ah, it, that it actually makes me really upset. <laughs> actually, I, I will just say that I didn't even like notice it because that's how it works in my language. Like we capitalize oh, sure. names of countries, but not the adjectives from the names of countries. Yes, yeah, well, same. which would make sense if they didn't already use my pawn sticks in oh, they other books. Did. Yeah, it's capitalized Ooh. in a lotus. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's just not consistent. And that objection, bothers me. Objection withdrawn. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. Like, <laughs> I would have been fine with it if it was always this way, but we have the Elantris Anniversary Edition. <laughs> now I think I I actually need to check the Elantris Anniversary Edition to make sure that my pawn is capitalized. But I know in the original Elantris it damn well was. Languages have changed over I'm time. I'm pretty sure they are. This I... has become a generic term over the years between Elantris. No, Alex, and... it is inherently confusing to have Cosmere things typeset differently in different books. It's confusing. Like, it, it was like, oh, if I meant capital F fortune and it's just not You'd capital F that. fortune and then we decide that it's capital F fortune later. <laughs> like, I get Brandon hasn't fully developed all these things. That's fine. But I'm just saying in reprints, you should fix that. <laughs> I, I actually take a kind of perverse delight when the romantic stuff doesn't and like the world building stuff doesn't line up because I know it frustrates people. No, it, it, it's, it's just the capitalization, Alex, because because, you know, you, you know, 
This is all I notice. This is a capitalization <laughs> yes. on everything. Yes, you have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like every. Yeah. You fix a lot capitalization. Yes, I, I can't unsee it. Anywho. Anyway. What a lovely book. Uh, I think these Cosmere so Secret good. projects are being really good. Uh, I, I think Brandon. Brandon should write more standalones. Like it's really fun to have Brandon standalones, even with mm-hmm. Cosmere references. But it's just nice to have like a pretty complete story. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, I think I, like not only is it a wonderful thing because we get these lovely standalone stories, but I think we're also going to see it pay dividends in like expanding his style in the main yes. series. Like I, I think you can see how like taking writing something like wheel of time pushing brandon's style really improved it and i think (laughs) him allowing himself to have this space to like i'm just gonna do something totally different and go for it is going to like make him a better writer in a cool way in the Mm -hmm. days to come and i mean dragon steals he's planning to be narrated by hoid and so he wanted to practice and Mm -hmm. these two hoid stories Mm -hmm. super different and so i like that Mm -hmm. and if you didn't like hoid narration uh don't worry about the next one because it's not so you can read Mm -hmm. the sample chapters i will say when you when you were talking about like it paying the dividends i thought you were going to talk about like mistborn the space mistborn Uh, (laughs) like it's i feel like it would be a fun just easter egg for like to mention those planets or hey may- maybe mm-hmm. we're going to see whatever important cosmic thing happened on utah in mistborn the space mistborn please there is no way brandon puts that in there without being like oh yeah no there's there's a thing you would have heard of it like we're gonna see we're gonna know what happened there for sure mm-hmm. brandon's not gonna what? answer it at no all idea. until then but, but no idea mm-hmm. who knows cool well, let's head on over to who's that Cosmere character. This character is from Roshar. Menace. Tia Tom. Braze. Void in drag on a horse. <laughs> it's time for who's that Cosmere character. Paul. All right, everyone, welcome to Who's That Cosmere Character, the game show where you send five clues and a character to WTCC at 17chart.com. I read each clue aloud, and these guys have a chance to guess who's that Cosmere character. Uh, Today, uh, I'm actually super far behind on the priority queue. There's like, there's like some from a while ago. So we're we're doing this as a who's that Cosmere character priority queue special. And you can submit your priority queues uh, if you're a Herald on Patreon. Hey, uh, so you get cool stuff on Patreon, some behind the scenes stuff and outtakes sometime when I post them, which is not often, but I, I could. I, I definitely could post some. Veronica had to go because her power went out and it's honestly incredible that she could even get to who's that Cosmere character. So good good for you. I don't have a generator, so I'd be screwed. So, yeah. The ate her. Leo, that's what her, actually happened. That's what actually happened. The storm yes. came in. The shroud came in and ate her. That's true. You'll never see her again. This first one is by Disgraphic Programmer. And clue one, this character is disobedient. 
I know it's not Yumi. <laughs> it's not Vivenna. Mm. Vivenna's a great answer, though. Disobedient. Mm. Do you, you want to guess Yumi? <laughs> no, I, I don't think this was sent to us after Yumi came out. Look, it could be from the Yumi sample chapters, and I'm... Uh, was, was she disobedient in sample chapters? I don't remember. I'm just saying I definitely did do a thing like that for Tress. I'm, I'm going to say Tress. It's not Tress. Kaladin. It's not Kaladin. Clue to this character refuses investiture. Hoid? Hoid. Not Hoid. That's both mm, your guesses. Both went, both went that way. Uh, refuses investiture. Hmm. That's Sorry, vague. Think for a bit. <laughs> it's pretty vague. For vague. sure. Like Vivenna also would have been a good guess. Uh already yeah. eliminated. Yeah. Um oh gosh. I'm sorry. I ah. disobedient refuses invest. It's so like weirdly specific and yet not specific at all. Yep. I, I, I'm going to pass. I got nothing. Okay. I'll have to keep thinking. Uh, Clue three. This character is held by a viewpoint character. Held? Wait. Say, held say that again. This character is held by a viewpoint character. Like physically? Like held? I, you, I'm sure you could interpret that in a number of different directions. And I think that's why. Yeah. No. I don't know. Sil? Not Sil. She refused investiture. I was trying to figure out what the, if any moment qualifies as such. <laughs> she refused to let the death's friend get Kaladin, I guess. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore if, she, no. if that's not her. No, no, no. Vin? Not Vin. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> that was incredible. I can't just pass again. I mean, you could. No, that's not how the game works. You gotta make guesses. But I just have nothing. My brain is empty. Nothing but Painter and you, me. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all you're thinking about. <laughs> basically, I've ruined myself. Uh, night blood. It's not night blood. It's a bad answer, but whatever. Clue four. This character does not doubt. Those are like... Does not doubt? Those are such bizarre clues. I, like, I, I, I promise I these go to a this specific. This is something nonsense. Yeah. This is a nonsense thing that's going to make me mad. I am I impressed. I am impressed by how abstract you've made them. What was what was the name? Uh, this graphic programmer. Okay, this graphic programmer. I am impressed by how yet strangely specific you've made those clues. Is it Marisy? It is not Marasi, and I'm not going to say it that way. You can't make me. 
disobedient refuses investiture is held by a POV character yes. and what was the last one and does not doubt does not doubt I'm just gonna say stuff at this point harmony not harmony I don't I'm not even thinking about clues I can't they don't fit in my brain I feel like I'm less confident on my guesses each round on this cliff I will be helpful I think Zeph? Yeah, I'm sure. It's not Zeph. All right. Clue five. This character is technically a prop. I knew it. See, this is why I'm trying to pick, like, objects. I knew it. I've been on this train, but that does not help me at all, actually. Really? No. Oh, okay. No, that's already what I was trying to get. Do you want me to list out all the clues? <sighs> Okay. Claude, our steel, whatever. Claude. I like that it's stuff. stick. It is stick. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying so hard not to curse right now. <laughs> no one. Uh, uh, the extra no. thing here is I'm a troll. So there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. You you are. Yep. Excellent work. Yeah, you, got, you got to have a stick somewhere in there. It happens more often in the priority queue than you'd expect. A stick crossed my mind at some point, but I just kind of like discarded it as like now. Nah, like I my, my brain has erased. Yeah. My brain has erased the existence of stick from my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Too many Tumblr memes. That was like the Tumblr meme for a long time. This next one is from Jester Lavore. It is Ooh, not hey, a Husak Cosmere character. This is a what's that Cosmere organization? Ooh, <laughs> Ooh how exciting. Well, hey. we already had who's that Cosmere object today, so why not organization? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we use character broadly, okay? Mm-hmm. But this is not a character. This is an organization. If you if you want to argue about what an organization is, Jester Lavore has given me guidance as to what to say. So I'm, we, we, we we can discuss oh, wow. that. Now, now I kind of want to argue what's an organization. What, just so what do that you think I, an organization I, is? A group of a group individuals of... working towards a common goal. Yeah, uh, Jester. An Lavor... organized group of individuals. I know. That's basically what <laughs> Jester Lavore has. Uh, they, they just pasted the dictionary definition, which is an organized body of people with a particular purpose, especially a business, society, association, etc. Nice, cool. We're all on the same page. There we go. Yep. Clue one: This organization has ten or more members. The Heralds? It is not the Heralds. Hmm. <laughs> the ten or more. That's, that's true. <laughs> you you I mean, tossed I'm, out number ten, so it's true. It's I'll, true. I'll say the Ghost Bloods first. <laughs> I'm shocked. It's not the Ghost Bloods. Bridge four. It's not bridge four. Clue two. This organization is disliked by a POV character. Um, Sons of Honor. It is not the Sons of Honor. The set. The Envisagers. It's not the set. It's not the Envisagers. Nice. Uh, can we even get five clues, three guesses each to 15 organizations? I think so. There's actually a lot of things uh, you could consider an organization. Yeah. Clue three. This organization has one or more immortal members. 
The uh, the steel ministry. It's not the steel ministry. What are you going to say, Ella? I, I was going to say the same. So, which is uh, why I'm not oh, okay. saying anything. Well, all right, nice, <laughs> good. What what uh, was the phrasing of Clue Two again? Uh, Disliked by a viewpoint character. By a POV character, yeah. POV character. And has at least one immortal. Yes. Uh, the seventeenth shard. Not the seventeenth shard. All right, the fictional seventeenth nice. shard. I'm gonna flip the script on you, Joff, and say Kelsier's crew. <laughs> That's not Kelsier's crew. Isn't that just the ghost bloods? <laughs> no, like his thieving crew. The, the ones who overthrew the Well, family. you already guessed ghost bloods, so it doesn't matter. So no. Clue four. This organization is recognized by its local legal system. The Court of Gods. It is the Court of Gods. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Nice. Clue five was this organization is a subject of worship. I, you know, the, the clue four was really like leading towards skybreakers, I will say. <laughs> I, I think there were some good like red herrings with like 10 or more. Hey, don't you want to guess Heralds or Knights <laughs> Radiant, maybe? Uh, well, uh, uh, as we established this episode, I, I am very easy. I fall very easily for things like this. So, good. yep, I definitely <laughs> fell for Heralds. Very good. This next one, our last one, mm. is from Lady of Scars. Uh, and the number one fan of secrets in stained glass. Yes. <laughs> yes. Potentially. I yes. hope you liked the deer shout out in this episode, <laughs> Lady of Scars. Clue one. This character has been a who's that Cosmere character answer in the past six months. <laughs> Well, I bold of you to assume I remember. <laughs> uh, for, for those of you who don't remember the last Lady of Scars, Harold Priority Q, she did ones that were all meta shard cast clues. <laughs> she says she tried oh, no. to make this one easier than the last one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess Hoyd because there was definitely a Hoyd in the past half year. Okay, it's not Hoyd. I have no idea what our list is here, so I'm just going to say Renarin. Not Renarin. Risen. It's not Risen. Clue two. This is exactly how it is written. During the last After Dark stream, insert Patreon pitch here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Join our Patreon. we We do... We have on occasion done After Dark streams where uh, we drink uh, and talk about other things and you can look at the other discuss things we can discuss things this character appeared as an option for fmk so f mary kill uh and no one argued in favor of killing them bug marais not bug Bugmraze way post dates <laughs> the last after dark stream I have no idea when I was in a while I'm never on those streams because you always do them at like 3am my time because we don't want to start drinking at 10am American time I, I understand it I, I know why you do this you, you have to come in on the uh, in the morning right EU morning That's nobody wanted to kill this character yeah Okay. Adolin. <laughs> it's not Adolin. Get the other colon brother out there. Okay. All right. Rashik. It is not Rashik. Clue three. 
this character's name appears in a video title on the 17 shard YouTube channel. Ooh, shy? Not shy. Relaine? Not Relaine. Maya? Not Maya. I'll, I'll give you a, a bonus clue in between three and four. The bonus is it does not appear in the title of any shard cast. <laughs> not the title of any shard cast. Wait. So it's on a video that's not Shardcast? In the title, yeah. Well, I wondered if that might be the case. Uh, I, I have a suspicion, but please give us the I've next clue. Yeah, no, 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 no. You can, you can guess again. There's a bonus. Uh, yeah. Kelsier? Did we guess Kelsier yet? Oh. You did not guess Kelsier, and it is Kelsier. Yeah. Because there was the Kelsier all along. Short. Kelsier all along. It took. Was was I not on the After Dark stream? Because I definitely would have said we should kill Kelsier in that sort of <laughs> I game. Don't like, I don't remember. Is I not a part of this? <laughs> I don't remember. It is Kelsier. Ooh, clue four. I, th this is a good clue. Everyone on the Cosmere Pronunciations episode pronounced this character's name the same way. Nice. Uh, and clue five. Oh, that's cute. This character has been the topic for a Shardcast episode. In fact, multiple, really. <laughs> really, at this yep. stage. I like it. Uh, and Lady of Have Scars. Have ever done a Kelsier episode that has the word Kelsier in the title? No. we on other videos? No. As far as I know, we only did Moonlight, Smile, uh, Moonlight Smile yes, Mentor. After Blah. much uh, iteration. We, we had an earlier one, though, didn't no, we? No. Really? No. No. Uh, I think I there was one on like the enough. sovereign, maybe. I think we use like sovereign and that. Uh, gotcha. Oh no, and Lord of Scars. That that was the other one. It was Moonlight's mentor and Lord Scars. of Scars. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it wasn't actually uh, called Kelsier. I will say in era three, we're just it's just Kelsier's back. We're just it's just gonna be in the title, okay? Don't sue me. <laughs> I don't wanna hear it. Maybe he'll die before then. I can have hope. <laughs> Zero percent <laughs> chance. Zero percent oh. chance. You know this. No. I don't want to deal with Kelsier. You anymore. you just want that to be true. I do. I do want that to be true. I want to live in a world where it's possible that I don't have to deal with Kelsier anymore. Well, it's not this one. <laughs> you can find us on 17char.com for our news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could ever want. Uh, we have a sweet Discord that has tons of people. Discord's been super hopping since Secret Project 3. And, you know, we're going to have another Secret Project eventually. So that's pretty cool. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. Uh, I don't know. There's other twitter replacements that we might be on i don't i don't know <laughs> twitter's awful now we are on instagram and the person who runs that instagram is right below me it's it's josh because i said i will not touch instagram and so josh <laughs> doesn't and yeah you can support us on patreon for as little as a dollar oh cool didn't you have one more thing to say Ella? I, I did actually like we just realized as we were um, going through the yes. who's that cosmic character intro. There is one topic that speaking of Instagram. 
yeah, that kind of slipped us by what? because oh, yes. the fact that Brandon has managed to write a story about AI art <laughs> before the mid journey and all the other like AI art really exploded. What is art? Like, obviously, this was this was a topic before, like AI replacing humans in like artistic pursuits and such, but he managed to write a story about AI art in the time where AI art is a big topic before AI art became a big topic. Especially in like 2021 when he was writing it, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And he little. even like, he, not to be too vile about it, but he even managed to do make the scholars look like those asshole tech bros who occasionally like <laughs> AI, really... AI dude bros, yeah. Yeah. No, not not yeah. to say that all the AI adherents are like the asshole tech bros, but I have seen so many there, of there's, them. There's a non-zero amount of them for sure. You've you've probably some encountered of them one. that are weird. Yeah. 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 Anyway, cool. Yeah, it is it is funny. Yeah. I, I do like the mm-hmm. meme of like the astronaut with a gun. This is always about AI art. Always has been. <laughs> Good. Really Your delivery was on point here. <laughs> nice. Oh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a pro. Not really. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see you all next time for something else. I don't know. While we're <laughs> plugging stuff that we do on this channel, sometimes go watch Secrets and Stained Glass. If you liked Painter, maybe you'll like one of the other characters that's in the, on that, that show. That, that you might know, be possibly. Alex's it's character. Yeah, might be uh, my character is a little bit. Anyway, uh, anyway, we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.